Welcome to episode 54 of the Gold Card Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Vince Colotti, at Gelati LOL. With me tonight, a three we have a three-man crew tonight. Uh, so we have John George at the Esports Plug. How are we doing, everybody? And uh, returning guest, uh, we'll, call, we'll, call, we'll, we'll call him host for now. Regular uh, contributor. Regular contributor. Um, close source, uh, uh, cl- a source close to the situation. Uh, <laughs> Josh Roberts at Roberts number 49 on Twitter. How are we all doing? Uh, yeah, so we got, I mean, the West is over. Oh, yeah, I mean, we, should, we, could, we can do that, too. I forgot to do that. We'll, we'll recap the West in a little bit, too. Um, so we got one big news thing off the top that I think it's just the elephant in the room. We might as well just knock it out now, right? So, like, the, the plan tonight is we're going to touch on this big news topic. We're going to recap uh, North America and Europe. Shouldn't take too long. I think all of us have talked a lot about it, but just wanted to get it on the podcast. Uh, then we want to talk about a big picture philosophical topic, uh, not overanalyzing, off, kind of off the back of what happened this morning, so we'll talk about that in a little bit. Then we're going to go into a whole boatload of listener questions, so thank you guys all for contributing those, and we'll get into those, and then maybe some EU Masters talk. And then, lastly, the short slate that we have, because it's only a couple of playoff series left. So that's the game plan, that's how we're going to go. Um, not as many games to talk about this week, but we're going to be doing a fair amount of recapping and a fair amount of comparing stuff so let's uh right off top of the show here let's talk let's get the big news out uh double lift uh tsm there's so many layers to this that we could go into and honestly i think we can just explore we've talked a lot about this but i think feel free to like explore all the layers of it because like first of all all right let's 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 break this down and say on the rift on the field of play how does this impact tsm and team liquid um, so I think it's, it's probably a slight upgrade for TSM if they just, if the only change that's happening, like that's the other things we don't really know the terms. We just know that double is going to TSM, or at least that's what's rumored, but we don't really know who else is moving around or whatever. So if we just assume that it's like a straight up double lift for Kabe trade, which I don't think it is any, it couldn't really be anyway, because team liquid doesn't want Kabe, <clears throat> but let's just assume for the sake of argument that TSM is just taking double lift and replacing Kabe with them. If that's the case, I don't think it's a huge change. I think it's like maybe a slight upgrade. There might be some previous chemistry stuff that's good because he's played on TSM. He knows some of the coaches. He knows Bjergsen. Like there's, that's like about all. Like I don't think I don't really think it's a big deal at all. In that sense, yeah, I'll, I'll throw I'll throw it to Josh. But like, th- does this feel like a lateral move to anyone else? Like I know Double is the best North American player of all time, probably, but. Like, it just feels so like. Like, does this help any team? Like, that's that's like the big question here, right? Like, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but like on the rift, they're like maybe a chemistry issue. Like, what, what do you think, Josh? I so I was like, just I'm just like really upset by the whole situation. I think it's all really really stupid on everyone who's involved. Part like legit everyone. Uh, but yeah, I I don't think it really helps anyone that much. Um, I think double lift is making like a decision to move to a roster that no analyst of the eSport would say is better. Uh, so it doesn't make really that much sense for him to do it. But he's taking his talents to Bay Life. Yeah. Yeah. He's, like he's has, going back to his ex or whatever. He's got to be making this decision because of the girl thing, right? Like, is there any, yeah. chance, that, is there any chance that that's not the reason he's going over there? Well, Biofrost is his best friend. Is the other yeah. Guy, right? So, like... And there might be a... There really might be some bad blood on Team Liquid from how this split played out. Like, I think it's, 
the coaches, yeah, right? Because, like, he was so outspoken a little bit, like, negatively about the coaches. And then we heard, like, Steve say, like, double lift is not team liquid and stuff like that. And, like, you know, like, uh, I don't know how that sits with either party, right? Like, we don't have access to that type of stuff, which is what the biggest gripe I have with the league scene, right, is, like, even, like, just that we don't have access to, like, what the players' contracts are or whatever, but, like, we just don't get enough access to these players in terms of, like, understanding. Like, I don't know. I feel like, like, we saw this week in the NFL, like, a Jags defensive end was tweeting at his owner. Like, yeah, stuff. I think that's going to tie into one of the questions we're going to talk about later about, like, changes, I think, that are uh... – we're going to see I might have forgot to write that question down, but yeah, I did. I definitely saw it. I'll have to do that. So on the riff, like see to me, like the, the, the plus side to doing this and it took me like, I didn't realize it at first. It took me like an hour after this news broke for me to think about this part, but it does open up an import slot for TSM, which is interesting. So I don't know if they're even going to use it. Like I, I think we're going to talk we about this again with a user question, but like, you got a port of jungler, right? I don't think Dardock was bad. Now it might not work with this iteration of the team, but Dardock was good this split. I don't think you have to be bad to get replaced. Like I agree, the- I agree. Like I, I think, I think you legit like, like so, like the dream scenario, right? Is you just get closer because he has the synergy with Broken Blade already, and then the thought process is that. Double if being a more vocal AD carry as opposed to Kabe will make up for the fact that Biofrost is generally a soft spoken player. Uh, cause we know that, right? Cause CLG said the reason they brought in Smoothie is cause they wanted someone who's a loud shot caller, right? We know Biofrost doesn't do that. It could have no. been an issue with TSM in general. Like we saw, yeah, like, yeah. That, what was their big problem? This split was not getting ahead cause damn, they were good at that. Like for sure. Yeah. Like, they were like as good as Cloud9 at getting ahead in games, but mm-hmm. they just couldn't put advantage, like they couldn't transition, right? So yeah. maybe just a stronger identity or a stronger voice, like maybe you give up some of the, you know, potential in one area f- to gain a net gain, but like, so like on the rift, it's interesting because it opens up an import slot, which is potentially an, up- an upgrade. Uh, for liquid, it for liquid it's weird because I, I think tactical was good, but we just like we don't know, like. We got like what, think like they would bring six else games in, right? or something. Like, how many games oh, I would, would we get with they would bring, uh, Yeah, it was, it was like two and a half weeks, maybe. And then we get so, and then you got to imagine. I mean, we don't again, we don't know, but you have to imagine that Liquid are freeing up a ton of money with this. Like, this is costing TSM a fortune. It has to be. Yeah, like, unless they're were, unless they're buying yeah. out his contract. Like they're That's buying out. I don't get it. Yeah. But are they buying out double lifts? Like they're just taking on his contract, so this this is costing them a boatload of money. So it damn well better be worth it, because unless Double Lift's just like eating the cost himself behind the scenes or something. Like, but yeah, the I think I heard that like the thought is that he's restructuring basically. Yeah, because TSM just bought like a giant new facility. So and then like, well maybe maybe that impacts things. Like, so much of this situation is so bizarre. Like, there's definitely going to be tampering accusations. There's definitely probably going to be legal action taken. I don't know how big a deal it'll be, but there's almost definitely something going on there. Like, that's gonna that's just going to happen. That's a foregone conclusion to me at this point. You might not ever hear about it, but it's going to be yeah. happening, you know? The other thing that's weird is is DL was uh, – he was able to get equity after this year ends. 
It was his third year with TL. So weird. Like that makes me wonder, like, who requested this, right? Like, is it TL? Because like they know that if he stays, they're going to have to give him equity, or is it like double if just wanted out? Like, there's just so many things we don't know, and that's uh, so frustrating. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, there is so many layers to this on like the in-game level, the relationships level. Like, in terms of like, I'm not even talking about Lena and Double If I'm talking about like relationships with the players, relationship with the coaches, relationship with the future teammates and future coaches. Uh, past relationships, uh, relationships with ownership and management. Like, maybe double is just non-committal. I mean, we see this sometimes, too. Like, some people just don't want to spend too much time in one place. I, I know a lot of people that are like that. Like, personally, like, in, in my life, I, there's a lot of athletes that are like this. There's a lot of coaches. Coach Kim. There's yep. a lot of coaches that are like this. Like, they, whether it's for a reason or not, maybe the reason is just I want to hang out with my girlfriend. Maybe it's he wants to hang out with Bjergsen and Byerfrost. Like, we don't. It, it sucks because all we can do is speculate on a lot of this stuff. And... Yeah, people get like a grass is greener type thing going on where like no matter where they're at, they're always like, man, if I was on that other team, like we'd be really, really good. And then they go there and they're they're good. And then they're like, ah, but if I was on that other team with these other guys, then we'd really crush them. I will say in relation to what Robert said earlier, if they pick up closer, I'm going to be really mad. It's like a Boston Red Sox, New York Yankees type move there. If they just start yanking all the best players from these other teams, just putting them all on TSM. I'd be really mad. I really want those those other teams to hold on to some talent here and not just have all their best players farmed up into TSM Team Liquid over and over again. Unlock but. the regions. You heard to hear for that's my opinion, <laughs> but I'm rather strong spoken on that. That so, would be interesting if they unlock the regions. Now, like, would any North American players even survive though? Like, how many North American maybe? For people that don't know, we I think we talked about this on the podcast before, but well, back we'll, in the we, days, we'll, we'll answer a question. There's a question about this, so we'll get to okay. it. Okay. Yeah, so back we'll, in the we'll days of StarCraft that. 1. Okay. There's a question related yeah, to we'll, this. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on this when we get to a question because like, I want to okay. give the whole history okay. of this because it was like the person had yeah. no clue, so I want to I dive into it there. So, I mean, <laughs> let's put like an ex- like let's put a, a punctuation on this. Like, thumbs up, thumbs down, or just like, are we like Caesar here? Are we just like yeah, doing this? Yeah, just thing? don't really care. Yeah, just don't really care. Yeah. I think everyone's power rankings next split will be TLC9 and TSM top three again. Like, just like every split. Yeah. I don't think it's any of it. The one thing I do want to mention that gets glossed over in all this is like, how crappy is it to be Kabe in this situation? Cause like, he just moved from Europe to come to the US to play. And now he's facing a global pandemic. So he can't travel home to see his family. And now just gets told that he's fired from his job. And can't go home. Yeah. Like, and there's two weeks until summer split, so no one's going to pick uh, him up. Like, and yeah. he's not going to play right away. So, like, he did get his contract bought out, so he's getting paid. So yeah. There's not. I mean, five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, like you were legit just screwed. Like there, there was a lot of times <laughs> where you'd just be out and you were done. So at least he's getting paid. There's that. Yeah, something at least. But it does suck. Like. Somebody he's else, in his pro- somebody should like this- pick him up, shouldn't they? Like, yeah, yeah like throw he's this- already gonna, get the lottery he's, he's ticket. He's already going to be here. He's probably going to be some free money. You know, I mean, he's probably going to be willing to accept less money. He's already here and stuck here, and and he just got paid. So yeah, somebody should pick him up. I think, but it's weird, man. It's really weird. This whole this whole situation just has there's so many layers and it's bizarre. It's like a, some kind of weird rotten onion or something. I don't know. It's <laughs> all right. Um. I wanted to talk more like a big picture topic and I didn't really know how to introduce this, but I'm just going to call it. I wanted to talk about not overanalyzing. Uh, and I think this is something that 
we kind of do as analysts and people in, you know, just like whether you're an analyst, a writer, a coach, someone that's betting, someone's playing DFS, someone that just is like an intense watcher of the game, like a student of the game, right? We tend to do this thing, and I'm obviously piggybacking on something that happened this morning, but we do this thing where we try to justify stuff after the fact and we do it all the, like I know I do it all the time I'm guilty of this like it's it's one of it's it's something I'm trying to get better at but I didn't really know like the best thing to call this or like the best way to introduce this but I wanted to talk about like just this big picture idea of it's not always like sometimes a team is just better on the day like it's the Giants and the Patriots Super Bowl there's nobody in the known universe that would have said the Giants are winning that Super Bowl nobody Maybe you bet the Giants because the odds were good. I don't know. But, like, that was a long time ago. But nobody in their right mind thought the Giants were actually going to win that game. Right? Uh, I'm not saying that was the case here. But, like, sometimes – these are professional athletes. These are professionals. They show up. They play. Sometimes they're good. Obviously, the thing I'm pointing to this morning was Dragon X versus T1. I think the entire gambling Twitter, DFS Twitter – like the analyst community, everybody and their mom was like, "Okay, DF Dragon X is the sharp play, right?" Just because the value was good, you were getting like plus two hundred on Dragon X, and then Dragon X lose, and everyone starts criticizing these drafts and criticizing all this. I think it was a lot simpler than that, but that's the example we're tying it into. The bigger picture I wanted to talk about was just like, do you have any any examples of yourself or like things that you've done in the past where you've just overanalyzed the situation when the reality of it was? It was the right side or is the right approach. It just didn't pan out like that. Cause I think that's like what I wanted to, that was what I was trying to say in all this. I know it was like super long winded, but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, go there was it. like two things I was going to go with, with the same topic that are kind of what you're, what you're going with. The first one is, and I've said this on the podcast before for sure, but look at other sports. Like the Warriors don't go 82 zero when they have the Kevin Durant team. Like they didn't just go 82 zero. Like sometimes they just lose. That was just not a great night. Sometimes the other team's on fire or, you know, they just made a couple bad plays or somebody's not feeling it that day. That happens in league too. And people just don't give it as much credence in league. They're like, you can be the best team in the league. And sometimes you just lose a game. It's not necessarily because anything awful happened or whatever. You don't have to find an analytical reason. You just didn't play it at your cap today. And the other team played at their cap and they, they just slightly outperformed you. It happens in every other sport. If people don't, uh, like I say, give it as much credence in league, but to the other part of your point, um, this is something that I've really struggled with over the years in both poker and in betting in DFS is if you're, if you're the kind of person that's really, really attracted to betting in DFS or poker, um, you tend to have like an analytical mind that really cares about patterns and really is trying to always find patterns all the time. And so I, I always struggled with the fact that you go to like a slate. Let me give you an example. You go to a slate and there's two teams playing. Let's say it's uh, it's WE against Invictus and they're, they're about to play, and your mind just comes up with, like, 40 different patterns that conflict with each other about who should win. Like, you're like, well, WE's had champion pool issues, and they lost to this other team, which is kind of like Invictus, this other team that's kind of like Invictus. But Invictus also, they're, they've are they just won four games in a row, and usually, historically, they start messing around. I see their last draft, they're messing around, and your brain just continues coming up with, like, 20 different patterns that start conflicting with each other, and you end up at square one, where you're like, I don't have any idea who's going to win. Because I got... I got a hundred pieces of evidence on both sides that are both, that are all these patterns that I'm noticing that are telling me that both these teams are going to win this game or both these teams are going to lose this game. And now I'm back at square one. And this happens to me all the time. And it's one of the hardest things to 
try to find which patterns really matter and which pieces of statistics really matter and which ones don't. Um, because it really is, it really can be a struggle. I've had a lot of games, even just this season, where I was where two teams were playing, and my initial reaction was like, Team A is going to win. After 30 minutes of thinking about it, I'm like, nope, Team B is going to win. And then another 30 minutes, and I'm back at square one because all the evidence is just like conflicting with each other, and I'm not sure which one I want to believe. So yeah, that's that's a real thing that you have to put a lot of effort into trying to figure out which patterns are important, which stats are important, which things you want to go with. And, and use them as a, a strong base for making predictions. Well, I think, like, like I guess just to – because I kind of thought of a sentence to sum this all up. But, like, sometimes the answer is just, okay, like, this team just won that day. Like, that's it. Like, it's not – like, you could have had the right side. You could have had the right approach. You could have had the right reasons. You could have had good research. You could have had good information. And shit just happens sometimes. That's why this is hard. It's There's variance cooked into it, right? But I think, like – Again, like you said, like we all have this like analytical mind that we always just want to attribute something to a reason, which is a good thing because it serves us well for the most part, like in a lot of things, right? But it can kind of bite you in the ass too, in a weird way, because then you just end up like overthinking a situation where it was like this morning, right? Like T one was just really good today. Like like I don't like you could you could criticize Dragon X's drafts. That's like a whole separate topic or whatever. But like. Anyway, like, Josh, I'll let you take the floor because I totally just jacked the microphone from you, man. You're good. I think uh, to kind of sum it up for me, like, uh, I love blackjack. um, And, like, if you do the math mind blackjack, you know that to kind of, like, to be long-term profitable, like, one of the base things you're supposed to do is, like, always double your 11, right? And the edge you get in blackjack, and this is very similar to handicapping, um, and you guys have been at it longer than I, but you know that, like, if you're a successful handicapper, you win, like, 52%, right? So, and a lot of times when we're choosing lines we like, it's because it's maybe 3% off in terms of value, right? Like, it's implying a 62% chance, and we say it's 65%. So, The thing you have to remember is that when you think about everything like a probability model, like you're going to lose. Like if you play blackjack and you hit every single 11, there will be days when you miss every single one. You just get an ace on every single 11 and then you lose to seven teams all day, right? There will be days like that. Um, And so you kind of have to just keep that in mind. And it's like, I'm not saying I do this because like I get extremely tilted oftentimes about stuff like this, but um that's that's the thing to keep in mind in terms of like like you said you were on the right side you made the right call and it didn't work out and that's just how it works some days like vegas wouldn't be offering us lines if they didn't have the law of large numbers on their side like casinos wouldn't be offering blackjack if they didn't understand that you're going to double on 11 and just know that in the long term they're going to win out or whatever right so like you know these these things are like very, very minute, and you got to remember that the, the actual chances, like even if we were all on DRX today because they were plus two hundred, like what were the chances of realistically winning? Maybe maximum fifty fifty. So then you're saying, okay, they're going to lose in fifty percent of the scenarios anyway. So like, why are we that surprised that they lost? Yeah, you know? I think what happens a lot of the time is, and I'll, I'm going to talk about the converse of this in a second, but like I think what happens a lot of the time is when you handicap a match and you break it down from every angle you can think of, right? You might look and look and look and be like diving at all these numbers, diving into all this film, diving into all these matchups and all this stuff. And you're like, okay, this team has a 54% chance of winning. 
there's still, like, the other 46% of outcomes, right? If a total for a game is set at 24 and a half, I'll, I'll say an NFL. We'll say an NFL game. Because there have been games, like, we'll take a game, like, we'll say, like, oh, the, the, to- the total was 40 and a half. That was the, that was the line. That's, like, on the lower side, but not super low. Probably two defensive teams, maybe backup quarterback or something. What if the teams just pop off that day and it's, like, an 80-point game? Just a random, like, slugfest. They just happen sometimes. I think the World Championship was a good example of this. The World Finals and the World Championship was a great example of this, right? I don't think – whether you thought G2 was going to win or FPX was going to win, if you looked at that match, if you were in on Fun Plus or you were in on G2, you were, like, at most 60-40, and that's if you were, like, hyper-optimistic, right? Yeah, nobody thought it was going to be 3-0, no yeah, matter which side 3-0 you were was really. definitely, like – Less. It was the margin outcome. It was like a less than five percent outcome, probably less than one percent outcome, right? Like with yeah, two teams like that. that. Was nobody yeah. thought that was happening, and it happened. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, "Oh man, it's because G two did this, and G two did this, and G two did this." Sometimes it is because of things that they did, but a lot of times it's just it. Sometimes this shit happens. Like that's the best yeah. way to put it. Like, and I want to touch July. Just you said it. Like, just because it means it was a one percent chance of happening. The, the issue is that we saw it, so now it was a 100% chance of happening. Like, it 100% happened, so that means, oh, right? Like, it happened, so why? We must be wrong. Exactly. What, was, what were we wrong about? And I think exactly. it's a good mental exercise to go through and be like, okay, did I misevaluate something? I think that is a good practice to go through. And that's the converse of this is the, – the converse of it is you can justify a position that was wrong even – you, you, it's pretty easy to justify a position that was definitely wrong. So the trick is identifying which was which, right? And like that, like it's good to go back over it after the fact. I just think don't. I think we just go way too overboard. It's like the long, long story short of this, right? Like we all go way too overboard with with certain aspects of this stuff. It's like we can criticize the draft all you want, right? I think we'll just tie it back to this morning. We can criticize the draft all you want. I think at the end of the day, T one just played really well today. Like you can say, like okay, this the I think that that Baron play was a choke a little bit. That was that looked like nerves to me, or just a missed decision. Um, Doran just got destroyed today. Like T one just played really really well today. Like I still think Dragon X. I would do it again. I would I would play Dragon X again tomorrow. Like no hesitation. On the other it, end of things, I don't know if I would play E Star again tomorrow for different reasons. This this whole conversation is why I think it's it was really important for me. Like one of the only reasons that I've been kind of successful is coming from poker. I think having come from poker was really important for this because I got to see a lot of the things that people don't understand about sports betting in the poker world. Um, part of the reason, like people might have noticed, and I'm not trying to call anybody out, but people might have noticed that I'm like very anti tout and very anti like lineup provider on Twitter. Part of that is because. They, they tend to, when I look into those kinds of people, tout these win rates that aren't realistic, that nobody has. And people don't understand that. Everybody wants to believe that there's these like genius guys out there that just like every sports bet that they make, they just win them all because they're just such a super genius and they just see the game in a way that nobody else sees it. And that's who they're looking for. When they're like, I'm looking for a lineup provider, they're looking for a guy who's just a super genius that just always has the winning lineup. And those people don't exist. And when you play poker, I got to see that. And sorry about my dogs just losing their minds so I'm trying to make an interesting point here but um yeah those people don't exist like the best poker players in the world 
lose like a very good percentage of the time. Like you just run bad and, and bad things happen or, or you thought you saw a situation one way and it turns out you were wrong or there's tons of reasons you can lose. And so when, that's one of the reasons that I'm very like vocally anti-tout and anti-provider for the most part is that people are are going to them expecting something that they can't provide. And a lot of these people are claiming to provide something that can't be provided. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you're, you're going to lose and the win rates that you should be expecting if you're trying to do this at a high level is not what you think it is. Um, there was a question about this. I'm trying to yeah, lead into the question about we're, it. We'll, 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 we're going to get to this. I think like, let's, let's put a, I'll, I'll put a closure on this whole thing, but like, I think take what you can from a loss or an incorrect, I want to call it a loss because losses happen. That's a bad way to put it. Learn what you can from an incorrect position. I think is the best way to put it. And then also learn what you can from correct positions and do the best you can to decipher what was a, where your process was wrong versus, you know, whether the result was just outside of the margins you thought it was. It's well, very difficult to do. Most important thing of what you say there, though, don't judge whether it was a correct or incorrect prediction by the result. on whether or not it happened. Yeah, don't yeah, be results-oriented. That's, that's the most important thing. I got to put my results-oriented thinking post because I have a blog post from like five years ago that has more <laughs> hits than anything from my blog ever. And I'll put that I'll put that link in the show notes because it's a I use poker, blackjack, solo queue. Like I use a million examples, but don't be results oriented. Yep. If you get if you hit traffic on your way to work, you don't blame like anything. It's just happened, right? Like that kind of thing. There's a whole bunch of things. I'll, I'll touch on this it's a different topic. So yeah, we kind of we kind of went on a deep dive there, but like it was a big picture topic because I think there was a lot of chatter on Twitter because I think a lot of the I guess I'll, we'll we'll call it gambling Twitter. Some some sharper than others, <laughs> say, um, was you know up in you know pitchforks and torches about Dragon X losing this morning in the fashion that they did, and sometimes it just happens. I think don't don't overthink it. Take what you can from it. Look at the process. If that was right, then go on with it. <sighs> okay. Um, do we want to touch on any EU Masters? Just briefly, I know, John, John, you've been kind of keeping up with this. I'll be honest with you, I haven't kept up with it at all. I usually just check afterwards and look at highlights and watch feature games. So go for it. Take, take I'll, I'll just give a little, like, general kind of overview of how you should approach EU Masters. I'm not going to give any, like, specific lines or anything like that, but just a quick look at it. So EU Masters is one of my favorite tournaments. I've been watching it since, since it started, and it's, like, one of my favorites. The teams are awesome, and they all have their own identities, and they play in their own styles, and it's really cool to watch. But generally, the biggest thing that people are messaging me about is just saying things like, uh, I noticed this team is like a huge underdog, but they went 18-0 in the regular season. Like, that has to be wrong, right? Okay, all these teams are awesome. They're all the teams that came top three or top one, depending on what region they're from, in their home leagues. A lot of them are from home leagues that are very weak, and they were just the only good team in their home league. And so, yeah, they went 18-0, and they beat everybody they played. The biggest thing that I would tell people to watch out for when they're trying to look over an EU Masters slate is which regions the teams come from, and maybe just as importantly, which regions have LEC money in them. Because the challenger teams for the LEC teams, like BTXL or Mad Lions Madrid, those teams are essentially the challenger teams for the LEC teams, and they have access to some degree of the money that the LEC teams have. They have access to some of the coaching that the LEC teams have. They have access to scrimming the LEC teams. Any team that is like an LEC sister team or a, or a challenger team for the LEC is going to have a huge advantage in other ways versus the teams that are not. And the regions that have those teams in them are similar. So a region like Italy doesn't have 
any LEC money or LEC teams in them. Whereas a region like Germany does, France does, Spain does. So when you're looking through, you want to look and see which of these regions have ties to money and coaching and those kinds of things and which of them don't. Like if uh, if Mad Lions Madrid comes second in Spain, whoever the team that won Spain is, is probably pretty good. Because like Mad Lions Madrid has access to lots of money, lots of talent, lots of coaching. If this team beat them in the finals, this team's probably pretty good. Whereas the team that's, yeah, whereas the team that's coming out of like the Nordics, there's nobody in the Nordics. Like it's very possible to just create a super team in the Nordics. Just get the five best players in the Nordics and put them on a team. They'll go 18-0 and then you can go to U Masters. But you didn't have to play against anybody. If if you were really, really good, you probably would have got picked up by an LEC team or an LEC challenger team. So uh, the, the biggest thing is just to look at the regions, I think. Regions like the Balkans, Nordics, Italy, these are regions that don't have any big money in them. Um, doesn't mean they can't have cool underdog stories. Like Diffuse Kids is a fan favorite uh, that comes from the Benelux. The, the, they, there's no money in the Benelux, but they're, they're a cool underdog story because they've had some good teams before. But they're, they're not going to have the same consistent edges that teams like Vodafone Giants and Mad Lions Madrid and Fanatic Rising. Those teams are all Vitality going to just generally B, be better. Like yeah. Kind of stuff. yeah. So Vitality B is a great example because Vitality B is in France and didn't make EU Masters. So the teams that are coming out of France, you know that they're good enough that they beat an LEC challenger team to get there. So, But yeah, that's the main thing I would look for if you're trying to decide which teams to be rostering. Teams that are from those regions or the teams that are challenger teams are going to just generally have a way bigger edge. Um, there's very few, the very few uh, non. Oh, what am I looking for? Exceptions. Yeah. Very few exceptions. LDLC is a good example of kind of an exception. They've been around for a long time. They have former LEC players on the roster. But yeah, that's that's my general advice for people that are looking at EU Masters. I think treat it treat it like the Olympics in track and field. In that, like you have individual competitors, like the teams right, in this case, yeah. and some of them are from high-power programs, right, or high-powered, like, areas, like, if we're talking, like, like gymnastics or, or, I don't know, basketball or something, right, like, uh, if you have, like, a team assemble, like, if you have, if the Olympic basketball tournament was sending two teams from every country, or three teams from every country, you're not, you're probably not going to take, like, the Japanese team, you're going to want North America or, like, you know, Turkey has a lot of basketball, right? Like, you, you're going to want to play areas from like with competitive leagues, right? And I think that's like the way you have to approach this kind of. Maybe not the best example, but whatever. A fun little side story that people can tell for the future that's referencing what you're referencing. There was I don't remember the exact numbers, so don't come on Twitter and hate me for this. But I'll just give you like an example of what this was because it's just a really cool story that someone told me and that I verified. At one point with running, there was. Only a certain number, there was something like 40-something people in the world that had ever run a mile at this time. I don't remember what the time was, but it was something like, I don't know, I don't know what time it would be. Let's say it's four minutes. I don't know what it actually is. Yeah. But there was at some point, there was there was only like 42 people in the world that had ever run a mile at, at in four minutes. And like 39 of them were from a small tribe in one African country. And the other three of them were from the rest of the world combined. So sometimes, sometimes certain specific areas or certain specific things are just going to be better or they have more infrastructure or they just do this more often than other people do. Korea so. was like this in League of Legends for a long time. Yes. Right? Like, Korea was dominant. Like, Canadians in hockey. Like, they were that dominant in in League of Legends for a while. And, yeah. I think that was a good a good summary. Like, Josh, you got anything on EU Masters? Because I, I, I haven't 
like I I'd like cursory follow it. Like you guys are more dialed into it than I am. Yeah, I would just say what John just outlined is a great uh, thing to keep in mind. And if you think about it, like in terms of the world championship that we'll see later on this year, it's like the perfect allegory, right? Like you're not going to just say that the team, uh, you know, Vivo Keed from CB Lowell that went 15 and three is just as good as G2 who went, you know, 15 and three or whatever, just because there's obviously disparities between those two regions in terms of development and talent. Um, so yeah, I think that, and then the, the, that's just a good thing to keep in mind for that tournament. So that's, that's kind of how I, I try to view, or that's, sorry, that's how I relate to, to what John's saying. Truly, your Euro Cup soccer is another good example where like some of the quality of certain leagues is different, but like maybe one exception comes up once in a while and it's good to have your finger on the pulse for that one. So anything else for you, Masters? Any favorites to win the whole thing? Just off the top of your head? You're muted. I think Mouse Sports has a really good lineup. I kind of think that they might have a, a real shot to win the thing, although they're not one of your best teams to play in DFS. But they're, I think they have a really good lineup headed by Leader, uh, who I, I think have a really good shot at winning. You mean you mean headed by the MSI champion, Promise Q? <laughs> I, actually, I forgot about that. <laughs> I did not know that Promise Q was on that team until EU Masters came around. And I was actually thinking the other day what a raw deal he got. Because he like they put him on G two, he won MSI, but he didn't play. Like he was just sitting on the bench for ninety nine percent of the time. But nobody else was buying his contract, and then he just didn't end up in the LEC. And it's like, oh, that kind of sucks, man. Like they picked you up, you were a solid backup when you got put in, and then nobody picks you up afterwards. He's but I'm glad to see him out he there. He is definitely pro quality. Like promise you, we're Jack Troll. Let's be real here. Yeah, I promised you 100% <laughs> should be a leader with Jack Troll. Jesus Christ. Oh, man. Promise Q or half the NA supports. Ooh. A little more interesting. All right, yeah. So, you guys, it's a fun tournament to watch because you're right. Like, it's like a soda fountain. Like, there's so many different flavors. Like, all these different teams. You'll see, you know, Vigar and, and Singed and all these weird champions that you never get to see because a lot of these guys are specialists, which is really, really cool. Are you Masters or Fnatic drafts? I'm confused. <laughs> I was just telling Gelati, if anybody missed it today, uh, uh, Kick Esports or Kick Neosurf got 36 kills in a 20-minute win this morning. So if you want to see some like real high blood, they have, their Aphelios at 20 minutes was like 14-1-12 or something like that at 20 minutes. Playing solo queue. <laughs> yeah, playing solo queue game. All right. So uh, we had a boatload of listener questions. Uh, I think what we'll do is we'll do listener questions, then we'll recap what we have so far in terms of playoff games, and then we'll touch on the few games we have on the slate. So we got a bunch of listener questions. Uh, I will read off who they're from and what they are, and then we'll talk about them real easy. So at once, Harvey. I'm reading Harvey's first because apparently I missed this and forgot about it, and I am so sorry. I oversight on my part. I got to go find the one that I forgot here. Too. And Harvey's a day one OG as well. So yeah, Harvey is a day one OG, so sincerest apologies, my friend. <laughs> I gotta like get t-shirts made or something and send them a t-shirt or something. So at once Harvey says, with books taking more action and likely sharpening up during this time, uh, and way more DFX or DFS action, do you think the next evolution would be to take a coach-like approach uh, when handicapping, like looking at champion? Po- I asked him to elaborate on this, and he said like looking at champion pools, looking at matchups, how pick and ban's going to be going, and everything like that. So uh, is that the next evolution? Um, to some degree, it already has been. Uh, 
in some splits. Uh, I've definitely I've talked before about how I had a, my most profitable split ever just betting against Ezreal. Like any team that draft Ezreal in North America, I just bet against them over and over again, and they just kept drafting Ezreal and losing. So I mean, sometimes uh, it already has been kind of an advantage, but I do think uh, it's something to look at more in the future. I'll say for the DFS side, just as a quick aside, I'm going to be doing a lot of research in the off season to try to decide if the strategy that's been crushing for me for years is even playable in this in this current metagame. Um, as an example, I was talking to the guys this morning. Uh, I played the two teams who scored the highest in EU Masters today. I stacked them together 70 different ways and didn't even make money on this slate, and they're the two highest scoring teams. And so I'm, I'm really starting to look into whether or not some of these other strategies of how to build these lineups is actually better than what I was doing before when you're looking at these big field tournaments. So there's definitely an evolution coming. Um, who knows? Maybe I just got unlucky today and some BS awesome lineup passed me, but definitely something to look into for the future. I don't think I'm I'm not ahead of the game in that sense. I'm going to be looking at how I'm going to evolve going into this as well. Yeah. Uh, so I, I kind of answered him like short, like the TLDR version on Twitter, but like I, I actually do a lot of this in my handicapping anyway. Uh, for, the, for those that don't know, I – I do a lot of statistics stuff. I have my own databases. I, 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 I use that as like a checkpoint, like a guide, a reference point. But I still put most of the weight of my handicapping on a combination of the value that the board presents. And more than anything else, still to this day, more than anything else is film study. Like, I watch all of these games. Some of them more than once. Some of them on 2x. I watch every single game. All right. For me, I'm able to pick out certain patterns just from doing this for so long that maybe, okay, like, I've figured out this guy doesn't play this, like, this champion, and I don't need a broadcaster to tell me that. I don't need the stats to say he hasn't played least in this split, right? Like, I don't need that. I can just see the way they draft, the way they set things up. So, so to a certain degree, I do some of this already. It's very difficult to have the mod, the brain power to do this for every single game, every single split. But there are spots that I find myself picking it out and I try to do it for every game, but it's very difficult to discern advantages sometimes. Um, one thing I think I've had a couple of people message me looking into doing stuff like this is like modeling drafts in a way that like you sit, you look at this player champion win rate on this player versus champion win rate on this player statistics, results, all this stuff and weigh it all against each other. You can do that sort of thing. It's a whole lot of legwork. I encourage anyone to do that. Feel free. <laughs> But uh, I, I do think there's something like that would be a pretty good edge. If if for nothing else, then you just have it as a reference point to, like, check yourself. Be like, oh, I think this is a huge draft win. And then you look at it and be like, yeah, maybe it's not as big as I think, right? Um, I do. I actually do take a coast-like approach. I don't know if you guys – I know there's people that have success taking just statistics, math approach, value approach. But I actually do take a very coast-like approach to this thing. And I think that's why, you know, I've been able to – you know, have success at this without being like a statistician, more or less. That's the only thing keeping me going, more or less. But I, I do think, think that's okay. kind of a spot. That yeah, I'll, I'll pass it over to Josh in just a second. I just wanted to say, in contrast to your um, like coach like approach, I take an idiot with a lot of repetitions approach. That's what I've, I do not think I'm one of the smartest guys in the game. There's people that are so much smarter than me. I just do this stuff so much. Like, just grind myself into the ground doing it, watching every single game, watching it over again, waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning to watch it live so I can watch it again later, getting three hours of sleep. I just do it over and over again until I start getting what we've talked about before, like these feelings of just going like, man, SMLZ has just been garbage when he plays this. The gut handicapper. You just just start getting like that after a long time. 
of just do, grinding it over and over again. It was the same thing I did with poker. I just played so many hands. I've just played 16 hours a day every day of the week for months and just slept in between and just play so many hands that eventually you're just like, they just always have kings here. Like they just always have kings. I'll just fold. Like they just have them. And you, and you just start making profit because you've just seen the situation so many times. So I don't even really do it because I'm smart. I just do it from bashing my head into the wall over and over again until it starts working because I've seen it so many times. I'm by no means encouraging gut handicapping. You should take a balanced approach to things. But when you do something as much as we've done it, like there's certain situations that stick out to you. Go ahead. Oh, I clearly look at all the stats and stuff too. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. Like, Go, go ahead, Josh. I don't mean to... Oh, you're good. You're good. Uh, so I'm more the opposite uh, aspect, and that's likely just because I'm newer to the game than you guys. Uh, I try to focus heavily on statistics, but you'll find that like some regions, like statistics, just they're less telling. So like in 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 NA this year, right? Like teams that were not Cloud Nine were like all within like like it seemed like fifty gold per minute of one another. And like gold per minute is like the the premium stat this, in this current meta for telling who the best team is. But like when it when the margins are that small, it like it's not really that much of a differentiator. And that's something that took me a while to learn. Um, and I think that's something that caused like a lot of the variance in that region. Um, but as far as it goes with like draft and things like that, I would caution, or I would just say like be cautious with it because like you would have never been able to predict any of TSM's drafts this split, right? Um, and like the, the other thing that's like taking a coach like approach would be great if we had all the information. So like, uh, we talked on it going, uh, I think I talked on it, uh, with Chris actually at one point going into the second half of the LCS and LEC, then we can see which teams actually going to be on which side in their matchups. Right. But for the first matchup, we don't know. So like intuitively we can say that if you give, uh, we'll just use an LPL example. If you give IG red side, then they're going to get a counter pick for rookie. And rookie is one of the best mid laners in the world. And he's always going to dominate his matchup. Right. So like, regardless of who the opponent is, if you're going to pl- want to play IG rookies, probably going to be an appealing option in, in that. But the problem is that we aren't told oftentimes before the games, which side these teams are on, unless it's a repeat matchup. Um, so that makes it a little bit tough to take that coach approach. But I would say in the second half of LEC and LCS splits, you should definitely be trying to utilize that counter pick versus first pick advantage um, and trying to like, compare it to the meta. And like, you know, like the, the whole double or center phenomenon, right? Like if you know that that TL is going to be blue side and center is really strong, then a team might leave it up and TL is not going to pick it. So the other team may get sent, you know, things like that. But, but yeah, I would just say um, in terms of trying to like predict drafts and whatnot, like for me, it's been, like you said, a lot of legwork and not many realistically good results. I think the best things are like to compare it to DFS. Um, and I don't know, John, if, if you agree with this, but like last year, Impact on Team Liquid was playing a ton of Gangplank. And Gangplank is like the single best top lane champion for DFS because he just literally ults and gets three assists on every fight. So like, I would legit like make impact my captain some days. Like maybe he'll pick impact or maybe he'll pick gangplank today. And he did. And then he would get 15 assists just because he literally just presses R across the map. And he's not even there. So like stuff like that. Um, if you notice those types of trends, those are definitely interesting with the DFS aspect. But in terms of betting lines, it can be just really difficult to actually bet. Yeah. I'll definitely I... say that's one of the variances for DFS is yeah. champion picks. Oh, there's nothing more frustrating than being like, 
you know what? I really think these two big favorites are going to be the biggest scoring teams today. I'll play the support captain. Like, I'm going to eat the support captain to get these guys in there because I really think they're going to be the highest scoring. And then their support plays like Tom Kench and gets yeah. like zero <laughs> two four in a 30-kill game, and you're just like, oh, Jesus. So, like, that's, that's part of the variance. That's why people are – that's why I don't trust when they when people are like, the lineup provider, he's provided 50 winning lineups in a row. It's like, no, he didn't. Because at least one of those 50 times, they fucking took Tom Kench on his or lineup. Blitzcrank. Like, right. that's the variance. Yeah, the Blitzcrank, yeah. One assist per fight. Yeah. Blitzcrank. I do think that there is it, – it's something that can influence the way you, you observe a game. Uh, like, and that's kind of, like, how I approach it. And, like, like, like I said, like, I'll pick up on things for sure. But – it's never like you just never know. Like it's never like a surefire, you know, whale play lock that this person's maybe he's gonna play at least him for the first time he's ever played it on stage. You don't know, right? You don't know if they were game playing for that. EDG tomorrow they're playing Audi and and Junja. We're gonna talk about that in a little bit. But like maybe they got some weird. Maybe Audi's gonna play Fiora. Like you know, like we don't know. Like I would think based on my years of seeing this that they got something spicy cooked up, but we don't know. Uh, well- I was July. I think you mentioned a couple weeks back. I, I remember reading it, but like, so, so there's all, the, the other part about trying to predict things is that you can just be wrong and it makes you more upset. Right. So like, I don't remember if this happened or not, but you said LGD went on a huge winning streak because Kramer was just slamming Senna games. Yeah. Dominating on Senna. So he's like, like, on Senna. yeah, you're like, obviously this team is coming up against them is going to see this and they're just going to ban it. And then like, if that team doesn't ban it, then you're just, you're just screwed. Right. Cause like, Made your basis on, I think, the smart play for this team, if I was their coach, I would say, just ban this champion. Uh, like we talked about uh, Golden Guardians, too. Ban Aphelios. Yep. And, and then if, if they don't do it, then you basing your take on the fact that they would do it just makes it, like, more upsetting to you. So, like I said, just just be cautious with it. I think, I think that actually ties into a really funny point that you see a lot in fantasy football and DFS for football, which is the uh, actually I'm I'm going to credit I'm going to credit him. I've shouted him out on the podcast before, but uh, Sigmund Bloom from the Football Guys podcast. It's one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. Uh, go check them out. It's awesome. It's great great material. Uh, but he has this concept called the assumption of rational coaching. Right, where like you assume in a football game, it's like, oh, they're up against this team that's got the worst run defense in the league. Let's pass the ball fifty times. Like they just get too smart for their own good, right? And sometimes that happens. So, um, it's again like it should, it should color in your opinion on a on a game or a position, right? It's something that you should be taking into account. Uh, if uh, sometimes it can burn you, sometimes it won't. But like, you know, there's a million examples. Let's go to a million examples. This could be its own podcast topic, but. Uh, let's take a look. I do that, but that was a really good question once, Harvey, because it could legit be like its own topic, actually. So, uh, let's go on to the next one. Uh, John, did you have anything else on that one? You good? Oh, no, I was just gonna say that's why we hate coaches, dude. That's why, <laughs> that's why I hate all coaches because they they do shit like that. You're like, well, there's a late game scaling team. They're playing against another team that can't win in the late game. They'll just take late game stuff. And they just draft at least first pick, and you're just like, you fucking moron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But then, like, we also have, like, the situations where it's like, oh, yeah, he, like, he's a genius next level, next level. Because they were like, oh, they assumed that we were going to do this. And we did early game. We ran him over, and I suddenly looked like a genius, right? <laughs> like, that's what, like, it goes both ways. It cuts both ways, right? Yeah. So. All right. Uh, so we got a, at JP underscore Iron Wolf. He says, uh, what is a sustainable betting ROI on League of Legends? Uh, so he has a bunch of questions. We'll just go one at a time. Uh, to me, the short answer is, and this is just like with anything gambling, it depends on your volume. It depends on your, you know, unit size, for lack of better terms. 
insert, you know, whoopee cushion here, but you know, it depends on a lot of different things. For some people, uh, sustainable is beating the number, just like 1%. Anything in the green is good. For some people, they're not happy unless it's 2%, 3%, 8%, right? Like, there's a number of pe- different people that do this a number of different ways. There's there's not really a clean answer to this. Like, just be in the green. <laughs> like, if you're, I, if you're curious, listen, listen to the past podcast where John says, if we bet a million dollars on each pick of the week, <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah, we've made all the viewers like at least a million dollars. Yeah, they're like half a million up right. We had a good week, except I lost this week, but everybody else won this week. So uh, we had we had a plus week. You're probably up like a quarter mil. I would say invest that now because the market's down. <laughs> buy buy oil. Like that's I'm not, I'm not actually I am not providing financial advice. But <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So that so like sustainable. It's it depends on again like how much you're wagering, uh, how what your volume is, like what your turnover is. You, you gotta. Unfortunately, there's not like a clean answer to this. Like sustainable, it's got to be in the green, like some amount. Like that's the only yeah, good answer. I have to that. Like, yeah, like um, to try to give like a concrete answer. Uh, that at least for me, um, I've had a split where I had a 50 plus percent ROI, just above 50 percent. Uh, I think that was the best split I've ever had. If I can get 20 percent, I feel very, very, very good. Uh, if you can get five percent, that's great. Like for a lot of sports betters, like in the football world, uh, three to five percent is fantastic. Uh, I was getting, I was doing a lot better than that when the lines were even more imbalanced than they are now. I still think they're much more imbalanced than football lines, so you can get up into the twenty percent if you're if you're really doing what you're doing. But uh, to pull the curtain back just a little bit on this one, because I think this is something that people misunderstand as well. Uh, it's not about like the guys that do this for a living, that play DFS or that that bet for a living. It's not about the super genius factor. It's not that they're super geniuses. They just bet a lot of money and have a small ROI. Like, if you can bet, there's guys, I don't think a lot of people realize this. I know for a fact that there are guys that play half a million plus on football every weekend on yeah. one slate. Yeah. On a single slate, they're playing 550,000 in DFS. It's not that they're super geniuses necessarily. If they have an ROI of 5% and they're playing $550,000 a slate and they're playing it five times a weekend or whatever on all the different football slates, grand of they're making, yeah, they're making 100,000 over the course of the weekend. And that's all, that's how they're doing it. It's not because they're super geniuses that bet a thousand dollars and walk away with a million every weekend. They're just taking a very small ROI. It's the same with poker. The guys that make the most money for the most part are guys that are playing in the biggest games and have about the same ROI as the really good grinders that play the mid stakes. They're just playing way bigger games. And so they're making way more money, but the, uh, the edges is not what people think. There's definitely a misconception out there that the super geniuses at the top have these monster ROIs and just always win. They just have a very small edge, but they're playing for a lot of money. Yeah. And so they can make a very good living off of it. Yeah. And I, th- I think there's like, the thing is like this whole, this whole thing, like people that are actually profitable at this cover the whole spectrum, right? You have people that do a ton of money and they have a 2% edge or a 1% edge and that's good enough for them to make a living off of it. Right. Then you have other people that maybe they have a very large edge, but they're not as high volume or not as high money. And that's good enough for them to make a living. It's all, it's all relative to there. There's a whole spectrum of people, right? Like there's not that many of them, but there's enough of, you know, a spectrum there to figure out like what's going on. So um, that's uh, Iron Wolf's first question. He had another one. He says, uh, do you favor pre-match or in-play betting? Um, <laughs> this is a tricky question because uh, I favor pre-match because I'm way more successful at it. <laughs> I don't know if it, like it makes sense to favor in-play, but like you can get in so much trouble without a lot of discipline. See, you know, example myself this morning, right? Example, my live betting record this year, it's public. I make everything public, right? 
I'm not doing well, like, in play this year. Uh, draft betting, all that stuff, like, I just haven't been good. I think some of it's been ridiculously bad luck, but some of it's just been bad, right? So, uh, I mean, I favor pre-match because I'm better at it. Like, I'm actually plus ROI in pre-match, so I don't know about you guys. I, uh, I, was, okay. I was just going to say, like, general – so – Usually, I would say I think the best time to bet is if you can get a line right after draft, if you're familiar with, with the game, right? Because, like, uh, like certain so LS, I think, was, like, 79% at predicting LCK games after draft. So the, the issues with that is, like, one, you have to understand the game really well to do this, right? So that, that takes a lot of grinding and understanding the game, honestly, probably playing the game, listening to a lot of people who are smart about the game talk about it. But the other thing is, like, right now, you can't do that anyways. Because, like, the whole playing online thing, like, the books still have the look ahead. And they're five minutes deep into the game. So if there was a one-minute... Western games. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Uh, So if if there was a first-minute fanatic death bush, and they got three kills, and they priced that into the live line, like, you may think, oh, wow, I'm getting great odds. G2 is plus 300 after that draft, what? And then it's like... Oh, this is why I think, and I do think it's actually still a thing on some of the East games as well. Cause I was watching, uh, V5 a couple weeks ago and I was actually playing with someone on league who was like, Oh, V5 just won a Baron fight. Let's live bet them. And then they were like plus two fit 280 still. And I was like, I bet they all get a seer within like two or three minutes. And then they literally, so I don't know. Um, so the, in my experience watching the, the East is, like it's as close to live as you can get. Like it's it's like it's it's basically live betting. Like it, it the, the East is good. The West right now is not. So full disclaimer: do not live bet the West right now. Just don't. You just get yourself in big trouble unless you're like a fortune teller or some some bullshit, right? Even still, if you're live betting and it's not just draft stuff, you gotta see a play 30, 40 seconds come like yeah. in the future because or just like anticipate a game state because uh, a lot of times like take the second a fight is imminent they take a live line down so it's it's challenging it's more challenging than you think a lot of people think like oh if you understand the game at a high level this should be easy for you and i always think it's easy and then i see that i'm in the red for the year so it's not easy and i i have been following this game for a long time i've played at a high level i at a high level and even i'm screwing it up so um i do think that's a good question uh me, um good good yeah. <laughs> you're good for me it's uh a futures pre-match and then live is the order for me is like how profitable I've been over the years. Uh, Futures has always been like my number one most profitable thing. It's something I put a lot of effort into. I'm sure people notice on Twitter, I get really hyped about playoff scenarios and off-season stuff. And that's because Futures is like one of the biggest things that I do. Um, So that's that. Uh, Quick point on the LS thing you were talking about, about predicting. That's one of those things that I think is kind of a it's kind of a, a, a sketchy thing to say because it's true. He, I'm sure he was 79% after draft, but most people would be. You forget that, like, there's the a ton of IG. Although, yeah, there's a ton of IG versus, yeah, V5 matches where we all would have predicted who was going to win every game correctly. So that's a little bit uh, a little bit on the sketchy side. Just, when be, just be cautious. Their, their line rates, or their, their ability to predict matches straight up because there's tons of lopsided matchups that are easy to – yeah, How many people can predict the football schedule? 60%. There's, pl- there's plenty of people that can do that. They can't do it against the spread, though. <laughs> So. Yeah, and then in play, I just wanted to give a small slight note. If you want to do in play betting, the best game by miles right now, go bet Counter Strike. Counter Strike is uh, by far in play betting has been my best because Counter Strike goes in waves when you play. Like if you win the pistol round, you're almost guaranteed to win the next two rounds. 
And I had splits where I wasn't even following Counter-Strike nearly as hard as League, and I made more money in Counter-Strike because you just wait until when the team wins the pistol round, wait two rounds, and then bet on their opponent if you think their opponent is the better team. Because they're going to win two rounds, and the book continues to adjust the odds to give the other team more and more of an advantage in the line as they win more rounds. But since you win in streaks, you can just wait. If you know Counter-Strike, you can wait until the streak is about to end and the other team is about to full buy. And if you think the other team is the favorite, then just bet them as soon as they're down five rounds or whatever. So just well, a, a fun thing. CSGO to advice. Yeah, if people want to get into CSGO betting, live betting in CSGO is fantastic. You just have to learn about when teams buy and 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 stick to your lines about who you think is going to win. All right, let's keep let's keep powering through these because we got a lot of them to get through and we're uh, a little under an hour in now. So uh, who's going to win the LPL? Top esports. JDG. I hate the region. I, I, I hate the region. <laughs> so I, just, I, I, I can't even bring myself to predict a winner. I, I like I again. I think I've said this before, but anytime I bet against IG, they win. So like, I guess just IG. Like, I, I, I just hate the region. So Inverse much. confidence model says it's going to be an RNG versus IG final. And <laughs> so yeah, you know. Bet accordingly, gentlemen and ladies. I don't know if there's any lady listeners. We don't know. But um, how would Cloud Nine do in the LCK, dude? All right. So this is interesting because we kind of talked about this last week a little bit. Uh, just relative. Like it's so hard comparing apples and oranges. But like, I think Cloud Nine is real. I think they're. If if you put Cloud Nine to the LCK right now, I think maybe they would struggle for a little bit just adapting. Uh, and maybe the strength of competition is better, but, like, it's hard to tell, right? Maybe it's not. Maybe the LCK is just not good anymore. I don't know, but I don't think that's the case. But uh, I think a lower-level playoff team. A I think, I think it's reasonable to expect that they would make the playoffs. I think they'd be, like, the fifth seed or something like that. Maybe higher. Maybe they're actually – like, that's the thing. Like, all that they can do is spank NA, and we, we just don't know. How would Cloud9 do in Europe? Cloud9 would probably be a borderline playoff team in Europe, too. Yeah, they're probably a lower-level playoff team in Europe. Like, who's Europe. better than them in Europe? Like, we talked, we compared, we comped Origin last week. I think Origin was a good comp. Like, I think that's interesting, right? Yeah, I think Origin's about their level somewhere right in there. I think they'd probably be a fourth, fifth-place team in Europe as well. So, I think in, in the LCK, uh, they're in the middle. I think they're probably in the middle of the table. I, it's not like it used to be where, like, Jin Air would come and stomp NA, right? Like, that's how it was five years ago. Like, legit, the 10th place Korean team would probably have stopped the North American team five years ago. Like, legit, that was a thing. Because they were that much better. Now it's a little little cloudy. We don't know. Jo- Josh, what do you think? How would Cloud9 do in the LCK? A little cloudy. I like the pun. Ah, yeah. I will say, like, the other thing that's interesting is, like, these teams are now boot camping in the offseason, like, in Korea, in China. So that has definitely elevated. And, like, I think we've heard Cloud9 talk about how Niski legit, like, after Worlds was over, just watched Doinby tape forever and just said, like, I want to learn how to play this way. This is, like, winning right now, and he's done it. So, like, I wouldn't be, be – because of that type of stuff and just kind of, like, the access uh, these players have, um, I, I wouldn't be saying, like, there's a giant skill gap anymore. But, I mean, we'll, we'll find out at Worlds. That's a risky thing to say, too, because if they don't do well at Worlds, all of a sudden they're not good. <laughs> True. Uh, betting on EU Masters we kind of already touched on this a little bit but yeah I think we touched on that a little bit sorry to cop out of this answer I just want to keep this moving uh, when does summer start uh, 
in the Western regions, it's the th- second week in May, so I think it's like the 16th or 17th, something like that. In the LCK and the LPL, I'm not entirely sure. I have to take a look. Off the top of my head, I don't know. So um, it's like yeah. the second week, I believe. It's like the 22nd or 23rd or something like that. Yeah, it's probably the third week or fourth week. So. Yeah, mid to late next month, basically. Very small uh, yeah, period we have of two weeks, Two weeks off, two and a half weeks off, and I'm going to enjoy them. I'll be working. So, <laughs> um. And yeah, I think that was it. Thank you, JP underscore Iron Wolf. That was good. They were good questions. We have uh, at uh, Peter Lou, which is at Boston Eagle Five. I think it was like, at Boston Eagle Five. He says, "How do import slash academy teams work?" Uh, and could CLG? Oh, what did I do? Oh, <laughs> uh, could CLG pick up someone from an LPL team? Okay, so this has a handful of different answers, but I wanted to give just like a general. Uh, take on how the, not even take just like this is how it works uh, so a number of years ago I forget how long ago I think it was five or six years ago I think it was like six or seven years ago now I'm thinking about it um, they decided based on the actions of a certain team named LMQ you can look them up uh, LMQ was a Chinese academy team that came to they were basically a Chinese minor league team like challenger team like they were the triple A decided to come over to North America they came over to America, North America and more or less kick the shit out of everybody for a split. Didn't win the split, but they were damn close. They were very good. They were a top three team, right? Uh, and they were a full Chinese team. And they just up, uprooted and moved to North America and played. And then after that happened, everyone was like, uh-oh. They're just going to do like what StarCraft did 10 years ago or 15 years ago, which was all the Koreans moved to North America and all the Koreans moved to, to Europe. And it suddenly just becomes, okay, Korea has the best Koreans. And Europe had the second best Koreans, and North America had the third best Koreans, and literally that's what it was. And League of Legends didn't want that happening because they wanted to foster domestic talent to the best of their ability. So they put into place what's called a region lock, which is you cannot have more than two imported players on your team. And imported meaning they do not have residency in the country of the league that you're playing in. And that applies to all leagues. Uh, Besides, I think the EU Masters things because I think they're like considered something different because there's a lot of small countries and stuff but they have to be within the region North America you have to be from Canada North America or Mexico I think it's Mexico is included I believe I don't know if they're in the Latin America North I think it's just Canada and North America actually um, etc etc goes on and on and on um, for, if your T if your league has a domestic region you have to play like that is your region lock so you can only have two import slots uh they, you can only have two imports on your starting roster. You can have them in your academy league, etc. So um, that's how those work. That's part of why EDG had their whole fiasco because they imported as an emergency sub Junja, who we're going to talk about shortly. Uh, Junja is from Taiwan, so his residency is in the the former LMS, now PCS, which was the Taiwanese league, and now it's just the Southeast Asian league, right? Uh, so his residency is not in China. So he cost an import slot, which was previously not being used, and EDG already had two imports. The Scout is Korean and Jinu is Korean. So that's why Jinu had to sit in that whole ordeal. That's just one example. Um, could CLG pick up someone from an LPL team? Yes, they could. These import rules would apply. Uh, I think there was another part of this question, which was uh, if like there's there has to be a financial agreement. There's contracts and everything. It's just like, you know anything else there has to be a financial agreement between the teams but yes clg could pick up someone from an lpl team conceivably they've done it before they picked up crown from korea 
from Gen G. Uh, after you could you could negotiate the trade for a contract or take on a contract or you could just pick up a player from Korea as a free agent. And I think that's like I tried to explain that in the shortest way possible. You guys can tag on to this because I got to find this other question that I doubt. I was just gonna say it might it might seem a little bit weird because there's some regions that just don't have a ton of imports or the imports that they have are only from very other specific regions. And uh, part of that is like the East for the most part has not really imported any Western players. Just because the Western teams just haven't been as good as the Eastern teams ever. Like Korea was the dominant team for or the dominant region forever, and then recently it's been China. But neither one of those regions has felt the need to go into North America uh, to pick up players because North America just hasn't ever, at least to their eyes, hasn't ever had a player that was worth getting. But North America has picked up Chinese and Korean players whenever they can. Uh, Chinese and Korean players tend to come to North America when they're not at the peak of their success, because if they're at the peak of their success, they would just play on a Chinese and Korean team and try to win worlds. This tends to be how it goes, since those still tend to be the best teams. Um, I could see somebody like a Perks or a Caps getting picked up by a Korean or Chinese team if they became a free agent and wanted to move. I could see that, but it, only really the best players in the West uh, would, at the moment with the way that things are. The, the other thing with that that I've heard, uh, specifically from Doublelift, is that like, Oftentimes, the uh, actually, I think it's just pretty commonplace known is that like the Western regions generally pay a lot better uh, than the Eastern regions just because of like honestly, just like competition, right? For uh, the spots. Um, so I think that that's kind of the other reason why you don't see like you see like like Americans are going to be more stuck up about, oh, I make X amount of dollars per year. I don't want to move across the world to make less money or whatever. Yeah, I should mention that too. That's definitely relevant. Although China, I'm not 100% sure about China, but I'm guessing China pays comparatively. Gotcha. They're, all, they're also the best region in the world, so they, they probably don't feel the need. And the biggest region in the world, so they probably don't feel the need. The to, Chinese to, teams to, to pay think. extraordinarily well. Yeah, I would assume the Chinese teams pay about as um, well as or better than the American teams. There's a reason that a lot of the Korean players went over to China and why the original, I mean, it's going to sound like kind of crazy if you weren't there to experience it, but it was literally called the Korean Exodus was shortly after season four, I guess it was three or four, uh, when everyone kind of realized, like, all right, Korea is way better than everyone. China just literally started importing Korean players, just like mad, like crazy. Like, China was, did not have very many of them, and they just took, like, like a quarter of the LCK, like, out of the LCK and imported it into China. I'm trying to think of people that were in that original, like, migration. Uh, rookie, death, scout. Rookie, scout. Uh... Easy Hoon, <laughs> uh, Imp, Deft. There was a whole. I'm ch- there, that's just off the top of my head. There was a whole slew of, of of people, and there was this mass. Basically, like they took. Honestly, it was like half of the LCK's best players. It was kind of crazy. Like imagine if the NBA. Imagine if some basketball league opened up in Japan and they offered to pay all these NBA players all this money, and they just took half of the NBA's best players. That's kind of what happened to the LCK and like between season four and five, give or take. And like over that next couple of years too. Um, I forget where I was going with this, but yeah, like the China pays extraordinarily well and it's, and the West America pays extraordinarily well. I'm sure Europe and, and Korea are upping the stakes now because they have to, otherwise they're not going to be able to retain their players. But yeah, that's like definitely a factor. I don't know. I totally just interrupted that because thought jumped into my head but finish your time i'm sorry finish what you were saying is there anything else 
No, that was it. That was it. That was, we were just saying that that's probably part of why we don't see too many players from the West go to the East as much as well. I also just think they're, yeah, you guys already mentioned that they're just not as good most of the, most yeah. of the time. So, um, let's see. Uh, at LCS, thank you for the question, Peter Liu at Boston Eagle five, uh, at LCS picks says is TSM with double if the clear number two in NA, do we expect more moves from them and thoughts on the Dardock slash double lift powder keg? LCS picks. I don't know if you baited this question or what, man, but this is like, this feels like a bait question. Like you're just trying to get us started. We kind of already talked a little bit about this, but like, is TSM with double lift the clear number two in NA? I don't think so. Like, I kind of thought TSM was the second best team anyway, but like they're held back by their coaching staff. So I don't know how much double lift helps that. I think Josh Roberts said exactly the right thing, which is the top three teams next split for every analyst are going to be Team Liquid, TSM, and Cloud9 in some order. Yep. And they were already going to be those three teams in some order. So I'm not necessarily sure it really makes much difference at all that they got double it. Josh, those are your thoughts. Uh, any more thoughts? Uh, yeah. <laughs> John, John, Josh, any thoughts uh, on your thoughts? <laughs> I think the only uh, – sorry, not the only interesting, but I think the point to touch on here is the, the powder cake thing. Um, John's mentioned it before and I've kind of come around to the same process that like Darduck's just like, he's probably not that toxic anymore. He's probably just not that good. I've been pounding yeah. the table for this. I actually responded to this question with TLDR. We're going to talk about this, but I think that narrative is like old and busted. Like it's, it's over. Like people need to quit with this Darduck is toxic attitude. He was good. He shut his mouth. He didn't cause any drama this split. What else do you want? Like what else do you want? And that's the other thing is like, like he said is, the, the narrative was that he was so good, but the toxicity was getting in the way. And now, really, honestly, he's just not that great and not that toxic. I think like, he, was, he was great this split. Uh, he was mediocre. He was outstanding this split. No, he was he's a good early game jungler. And That's his ran, job! Ran around like a chicken with his head cut off. Yeah, that whole team ran around with a chicken with their head cut off. Yeah, I'm not was, blaming him specifically for that. He did his, he did his job! Anyway, he was mediocre. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not the, the side topic. Side topic. <laughs> um, I do, do we all agree that the powder, like the Dardock toxicity narrative, is old? Though, can we just like yeah. put this to rest? Anyway, I'm gonna put the double of toxic. I, I know he just. I know people think that LS stream was super toxic. I think it was just telling. I don't even think it was toxic. I don't think he was disrespecting anybody. He was just telling it like it was, right? Um. I think the double lift is toxic narrative is old as shit too. He's a veteran now. Like he doesn't like it, it, being petty like that doesn't matter to him anymore. Like maybe it's toxic that he doesn't care anymore. You could take that interpretation, I guess. But I think there might be a little bit of an ego thing with double yeah, lift. Maybe sure he's toxic, but there might be a little bit of an ego thing with maybe. him. I think this split might have helped fix that though. Yeah, um, this is a good question though. Uh, I think that was a question that was on a lot of people's minds, but nobody wanted to ask. So, incur- uh, thank you for the bravery stepping forward and asking that one. Uh, at Cash Up Cash asks, "What does the future of esports look like, and how has this pandemic increased or decreased its popularity?" Um, <laughs> I'm gonna say the hipster answer and be like, "Yo, where you guys all been?" Because this has been this cool this whole time. So, welcome. You you guys are welcome aboard the train. There's plenty of space in the back. Uh, you know, I'll give out some VIP passes if you want. I hear some dining. We got dining passes. Uh, scotch on me for everybody. Uh, come on in. The water's warm. It's great here. It's been this cool. Like, it's cool that we're getting all these, like, this influx of new people, and it's. I'm glad that it's it's put the spotlight on it because it's been this awesome. 
And if anything, if you guys keep up with this and we retain some fans from all of this, that's like like I'm talking like league as a whole, not even us specifically. League as a whole. If you we retain some fans because of this, wait till you see the production value and stuff when it gets back into regular form. Like it's awesome. Like you're gonna enjoy this stuff. It's the it's one of the best things to sink your time into that I've ever seen. It's incredible. It's so deep and so complex, and I'm glad people are now discovering it. Yeah, and I've talked about it before, but let me give you my quick analogy of just what I think is the future of esports. Why did you, when you were a kid and your parents, like, what, what did you, when you played sports when you were younger, if you played sports or whatever, and you watched sports, like, how, how did that go for you? How did that experience go? I imagine the experience went something like it did for me, which is like, uh, I went outside and played with my friends and we didn't have anything to do, so we played basketball. And then because I played a little bit of basketball, I played basketball on a team. And then because I played basketball on a team, it was kind of exciting watching the watching professional basketball because I played a little bit of basketball. I know a little bit about it. I want to see what the best people in the world can do when they play basketball. Well, I got a couple kids uh, that are younger ages, and you know how often they play basketball? Not that often. You know how often they play video games? All the time. And that is the, and that is the future for me is just people want to watch what they did. And video games is even better because you can't just like – decide you want to go play basketball with LeBron James real quick, but you kind of can with video games. Like you can just go queue up and you can just play with random guys whenever you want. So yeah, I think video games is definitely, uh, I have a pretty hard stance on it. And I have for like 10 years, that video games will take over traditional sports at some time in the next like 20, 25 years. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was saying like, I mean, Oh, like it's you're w- welcome. Like we've, we've been, we've been doing this for 10 years already. Like, I've been doing it for like almost twenty years. I started following esports when I was a teenager. This is like I'm I'm thirty two years old. Like I'm that's yeah. So it's 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 awesome. Um, I think it was funny. I was on I was on the deep dive and uh, with with Andy and Drew and Drew actually made the point. He was like twenty years from now, like are we really going to be smashing each other in the head with you know helmets on? I mean maybe, but like there's way more likelihood chance that this still around and popping. Maybe not this specific game or whatever, but like then this sticking around and popping off, then you know that's still being a thing in its current form anyway, right? Like it's the future. Like the future is now. It's been now for fifteen years. I want to say where you all been, but I don't want to be like accusational. Welcome, come on in. It's fun. Josh, you got any comments on this one? Uh, no, not really. Uh, I cover the world of traditional sports, so I'm a little bit more optimistic about it. But uh, I, I definitely think that this is. I think that the biggest opportunities that are available here are similar to traditional sports in that once they start, like, like the LCS kind of leaned into it this year, partnering with, like, Bud Light, but, like, and, and having, like, the Bud Light tailgates and the Bud Light after parties and, and things of that nature. But the more that these things get exposure um, and, like, if DraftKings were to become an official sponsor of the LCS, like, those things are only good. So like getting attention on these things, it, it, it can only improve the product. Like you said, like the production value and all those things will, will increase. So uh, yeah, I think, I think it's really can only go up. And by no means I'm not shitting on traditional sports. I love traditional sports. I'm a huge football junkie. Yeah. And like I make no mistake. I'm not, I'm not doing that at all. I, I just think that there's things that they can learn from this and that esports can learn from them as well. It goes both ways. It's like, it's just awesome. It's a, it's a new thing for a lot of people and welcome. We've been doing and I definitely want to underline Gelati's point real quick as well that wait till you see what this what the production value looks like when we're not forced out of the from the COVID thing. The the world championships and stuff. Go back and look at the old world championships. Like they're fantastic. All right, good question. Cash up and or uh, cash up and cash. All right, uh, we have at uh, fantasy r stats ha- says how will the spring split translate over to the summer and how good 
in how good the teams will be and if they keep their play style up. And he says, uh, I never thought I'd listen to a LOL podcast, but you guys do a great job, and podcasts are made for your voice. He tweeted this at me. So, welcome to Deep Into the Night with us. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so how, does Spring Split translate over to summer, and how good will the teams be? So, th- this is a really good question, because the answer is, obviously, there's no good answer. <laughs> uh, it's a team-by-team basis. It ba- it's There's off-season moves that happens. Um, there's metagame shifts that happen. Uh, the game usually what happens is the game changes in a major, major way in the off season after the World Championship. November, December, January are like where they make the major, major changes. But there's like the halfway point where they make some pretty drastic changes as well. So the game we're looking at a month from now could be completely different, like in a big way. Like we, there's a very good chance of that happening. It happens almost every year. And the teams that are able to adjust are the ones that do that. There's also free agency moves. There's also teams regressing to the mean. Maybe they had a good season and they come back to the norm. But, like, yeah, it's the answer is there's no clean answer. It's on a team-by-team basis, and we will be going into that, I'm sure, in, like, power rankings and stuff like that, I'm sure. But, yeah, take the floor, guys. I would just say um, some teams will retain their, their lineups. Excuse me. Uh, some teams will retain their lineups. You'll see a lot more moves than you would see in a traditional sport a lot of the time. Like some teams will be completely different going into summer or especially when it's going from summer to next spring. Sometimes you might see an entirely new roster of five players. So obviously their skill is going to be totally different if they're changing the entire team. Uh, coaching staffs will change. The The biggest teams, if they don't make a lot of changes, tend to be pretty consistent. Like G2 split to split has pretty much been the same team. Same with um, with Team Liquid before now. So the bigger teams tend to retain. Gotcha. Don't die, John. Uh, Josh, any comments on this? No, yeah, I think you guys hit it all. Uh, just be wary of any big, big changes. Uh, I know, like, it's funny you mentioned it, but, like, I went back and watched, like, the IG Worlds from when they stomped uh, Fnatic, and it's just, like, mind-boggling to see no alcoves now, like my mind's just so used to it now. Uh, so it, that was like just so weird. But yeah, just be uh, wary of any big patch changes. Uh, the, I think the biggest thing you'll see is like new champions getting out of the pools um, and things of that nature. But, but other than that, fairly similar uh, as team state consistent. I'll make I'll make a brief comment that uh, the Western regions have changed the way you qualify for the world championship now. Uh, we've talked a little bit about this before, but. It used to be that there was like a circuit point system, much like NASCAR or something, or golf or something like that, where you would earn points based on how you finished in this combination of the spring and the summer, and the summer was weighted more because it was closer to the world championship. So, for the most part, all the major regions would get two teams, and then one team that would qualify through a, a regional qualifier tournament. That was like a separate thing after summer was over. Uh, now, there was no circuit points for spring split, so... There's a chance that we see a much more competitive, much more serious, I'm sure as hell hoping this is the case for North America, split in the summer because it matters a lot more because there is only one season that the circuit points are qualifying for anymore. So uh, hopefully we see a better product uh, from a League of Legends standpoint. The product itself will be outstanding as always. But <laughs> um, yeah, I think that was a that, that's the easiest way to put that. It's kind of complicated, but check our stuff out for power rankings because I'm sure we'll all be doing that. Uh Controversial question for the next one. Controversial one. We have at JLC11 underscore. You knew this was going to come up, so you know I'm not going to cut it out or edit it or anything like that. We're just going to talk it out. Is League of Legends rigged? 
Uh, we had a match-fixing scandal in the LPL this season. Uh, we had a match-fixing scandal in the LPL last season. Before that, there was actually nothing, at least nobody was getting caught, for like six years outside of like really small like tournaments, like regional leagues and stuff like that. Like I'm sure there was stuff that I just missed. But in the major leagues, there was nothing for since, what, like season two or something like that? So... Does it happen? I mean, this is this is a this is a nasty thing to talk about. It's a very taboo topic, right? But I'm sure there's some extent of something happening if there have been people caught doing it. But for the most part, I don't think it's the case very often. I think people tend to meme. Like, don't get me wrong, I like to do the X Files theme and meme it and talk about fixing and all that and do the Roger Goodell phone call and all that. But for the most part. I, I think it's overblown, and people just tend to over-exaggerate it. There have been a couple isolated incidents. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's elephant in the room with the weigh-on situation. We're how many days after weigh-on now, John? What's the weigh-on day count? <laughs> I don't have an official count. Oh, no, it's got to be 28 because we recorded Wednesday last week, and we were 21 days after uh, after weigh-on, <laughs> AW, 21 days AW last time. So, um, I'll just say I post the, the weigh-on with a mustache picture all the time on twitter so um there's no i mean honestly i'm sure it's very similar to what gelati said i'm sure it happens every once in a while and it probably isn't caught sometimes when it happens an important thing to remember is there's enough money in the game now that it's not happening on any major scale like a team's not giving up their chances to make the playoffs so that a player can get a small side cut probably nobody's yeah i think it's it'd be on a very small scale if, if it is happening and it's happening much less than people want to pretend it's happening just because we had one really major issue of it this season. And really, the one major issue we had it this season was that we know of only in one or two matches for one team. So I think this was like an unfortunate timing situation, too, that like that happened the week that a bunch of people just entered this space. So I think people have this conception that that happened, but... I'm not kidding. Like in terms of the major leagues and even like some of like the just outside, like the LMS and Brazil and all that, as far as we know, there's been like two reported cases of this in like eight years. I'm sure it's happened, but in terms of reported caught cases, it's uh, they're isolated incidents. So I, I think don't, don't freak out about it. And I think I actually, I think the more money that enters the game, believe it or not, I think will help that as opposed to hurt it. Like some people might. Oh, it'll, it'll definitely help it. The more money that the players make, the less like, the, they were talking about the amount of money that Wayon was making from this. I'm pretty sure it was like in the hundreds or low thousands of dollars. Yeah. If you're getting paid a lot of money, you don't you're not taking a bribe for four hundred dollars. Yeah, it's not worth your career or whatever. Yeah. So the more money that comes in, the less likely people are to rig for sure. Any other thoughts on this one? Uh, I'm still going to keep. Okay. I was gonna say, I was going to I'm going to keep posting the Wayon picture though. That's, yeah. that's fine. Yeah, like like John's tweets with the way on meme because they're always hilarious. But also, like, don't let's not forget that like these things have played traditional sports as well. Yeah, we've had them in, in other sports. So like, it's it's not like they're all very similar. Um, it was unfortunate timing, and like a lot of people will blame people just making bad plays or like having a boneheaded moment. Like if 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 Bray Lewis just like trips and falls while he's covering a tight end and he scores a, a touchdown. Like, are you saying he, he fixed it? You know, like if, an, if a jungler fat fingers his flash, did he fix it? You know what I'm saying? Like, so yeah. let's, you know, we got to be rational about these things. Um, and we talked earlier about like the whole probability thing. Like, even if 
uh, Rogue Warriors, like whatever, even if like, uh, you know, RNG being minus 2,500 in the loss, like there's still actually, you know, a 1% implied odd chance that they lose. So like maybe we just caught the 1%. So like these things happen. It's a very, it's a sport with lots of variants. Um, you know, so don't, don't overreact to yeah. it. And just like in traditional sports too, like, I would I would posit this if you've never been in the moment like in that spot you don't know how your brain acts like I've played in tournaments I've played for like reasonable sums of money and stuff and I mean not at the highest level but like I've played in these spots and sometimes you just screw up you choke you get nervous it happens right uh I don't know it's a really interesting uh it's really not that interesting it just is what it is <laughs> like honestly it's just not uh last question um I think I got all of them. If I forgot, somebody can flame me on Twitter about it. We have at MikePet01681441. He says, what the f- what the fuck happened to Esar this morning? I mean, they, they – I, honestly, I don't think Esar was even that bad. I think Team WE just played out of their mind this morning. They were really good. Team WE was really good this morning. I thought Esar made some, some bad plays across yeah, the course I mean, of the game. I thought there was some nerves, but – I thought E-Star was the right play. I still think after watching the series that E-Star was the right play, to be honest with you. Uh, if, if you had that slate again tomorrow and the teams were going to rematch, I'd play E-Star again. So we were just talking about not having results-oriented yeah. thinking. I still don't think WE is a very good team. I think they had a, a kind of peak performance last night. I think E-Star could have handled their bands better as well. But, yeah, I think they. Uh, I, th- I think that betting E-Star last night or playing them in DFS was fine. I started, I started questioning it, and I guess we'll, we'll just dive into the LPL slate in a second, like, to transition from this, it's a good spot. Um, I kind of looked at this more as, like, not specifically E-Star and not specifically Team WE, but, like, when I have two teams that play this way, that I probably should have been less confident on the favorite than I was, just because typically when you have two teams that play the way these two do, I like to favor the underdog just because they both introduce variants or like to. So in that aspect, I was reevaluating my handicap of the game, uh, not based on necessarily the results, but it just made me reconsider some things. Um, yeah, so we'll get to that in a second. Let's um, thank you all for the listener questions. We love doing listener questions. Like I, I, I have a blast doing these like mailbag shows. I think they're great. I got to set up an email so we can do all this like that way. It's it'll be a lot easier. Um, let's recap what we've seen so far. Um, we saw. We'll just go. We'll just go in the West first. Europe. Uh, we saw the third, uh, the semifinal, and then the final in Europe. G two are really good. <laughs> like, I mean, we told you so. We told you so. We all said it. I was even questioning myself a little tiny bit because Fnatic are also really, really good. Do not hold that series against Fnatic. Do we all agree with that? One hundred percent. Yeah. I, mean, I think what happened. And and I'll I, I've said it on Twitter and I'll just reiterate it again. The playoff format totally screws over the team that that goes through untouched in the winner side of the bracket. It just totally screws them over. They should either get a game or they should have double elimination possibility. Um, but regardless, what happened was G two came in with a new strategy that Fnatic was not prepared for, and that was Mage supports. Fnatic, you know, saw it coming. Whipple had discussed like, oh, they saw it coming like once they realized it was going to happen in the draft, but it's not like they had been practicing it. And when you're in the playoffs and you're in the position Fnatic was in, they're not even going to be able to get scrims against the other good teams that are left in the playoffs, right? Because they don't want to scrim them because they're going to play them later. So like 
you got to remember that like they didn't necessarily have this on film and they just got caught on a bad day with a new strategy that G2 had not shown all year. Yeah, I for I mean we can talk X's and O's a little bit, but I I thought the the Cogball Lulu solution was elegant and brilliant. It was such I, I've been I've been waiting for a team. I tweeted it out when it happened. I said I've been waiting for this to happen. Like punish these TK Ophelios lanes. Punish this Yumi. I mean, as as real Yumi is a little less punishable by that, but like punish these lanes that just want to farm. If they want to do that, you play the better farming lane. Cogball Lulu is the best at this in the game. Like. I'm trying to think of like a like a what's the comparison? Like I mean Cogmo Lulu is basically just like I gotta load up this cannon, but guess what? I'm breaking this castle down when I get there, right? Like that's what Cogmo Lulu is better than anything else, period. I it, I thought it was a great solution. I think Fnatic took two games to figure out that like we just have to ban like it felt so bad. It's like we can't actually ban this, can we? Like or do we have to switch sides for this? But then this is like part of what's like so awesome about this game is that like it's it's kind of like football like you just have like this off the wall weird game plan and it just catches a team right you just catch them off guard and I thought it was really impressive for G two to play that way that is very much not their style but it just goes to show you I mean we've been saying this too G two are not a linear team they're extremely good they could do anything they want to do like I, I think people just forgot that like this team was in the world championship finals. Like six months ago, the same team, they switched one little thing. A lot of new people have that have come in just this season didn't quite realize what was going on with G two. I got a lot of posts about Mad Lions and uh, they beat them, and they're um, I, I always thought they were going to beat them anyway, and etc. It's like mm, I don't, uh, <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. I don't know yeah. if you guys know about G two. I want to make a small segue to ask Gelati a question about the actual game of League of Legends of something that's been tilting me lately. So. <laughs> This, is, uh, this question is about Aphelios. So, I really do not enjoy watching Aphelios. And I'm wondering, is it, how much is this just like the most skill expression champion we've ever seen? Because we watched two games of Aphelios from Wink this morning, and he never did any damage ever the entire series. And he wasn't that far behind or anything. He was like farmed up fine. He had a kill, you know, here and there. And he never did any damage. Jaomong got it, and he just blew everybody up all the time from a very similar position. Is this just like such a high skill expression champion and having the right guns and having the right combinations that it's like makes that much of a difference? Cause I really felt like Wink did literal nothing on this champion for two games. And as soon as I saw Xiao Meng first auto attack somebody, I was like, they're just going to crush them this game. Xiao Meng does infinity damage. I think there's a lot of layers to this question. Um, Josh has talked a lot about it before that like th- this champion in terms of 80 carries is one of the highest skill expression champions. It's extremely complicated. It's relatively new. Uh, a lot of people didn't pick it up right away. Uh, at first, there was, like, all the memes about 200 years of design experience and all that. Like, I'm not going to put that – like, I'm just going to put that to the side, right? When it first came out, it was overtuned, like most two champions are, right? Uh, to the point where, like, you could play it at 80% capacity and it was still, like, powerful enough. It wasn't, like, broken, broken, but it was powerful enough to the extent that you could play it at 80% capacity and as long as you played to the late-game win condition, it was really powerful there, right? Uh, as it's gotten nerfed a little bit, that hasn't been the case. Like, there's a lot more skill expression now. The thing with Aphelios is that it's not one-size-fits-all situation. It's an extremely powerful champion. It doesn't mean it's an extremely broken champion. It's abusable. It's punishable. So, not only is there skill expression in terms of, like, how difficult it is to micromanage, like, all the different gun stuff, all the different... Like, you have to manage waves differently because if you want to hold guns, you can't auto-attack. 
Like, there's a lot of weird stuff like that. Like, it's got a weird angle of play, kind of like when Jin first came out. Um, it's very complicated. It's very complex. A lot of decision-making, like, big-picture decisions to make, right? Um, in terms of, like, power level, it's obviously extremely powerful when you get there. But it's it's exploitable, and we've started seeing that, right? Like, it took teams so long to just be like, oh, you can play something else that scales really well against it, like Cogmo Lulu, right? Aphilios can't really protect himself unless he has... I forget the names of all the stuff. Unless he has the lifesteal gun, basically. Like, he can't effectively protect himself because he doesn't have an escape or a gap closer or a way to peel for himself, right? So he has to either lifesteal tank or hit you with an ultimate and stun you that way and then back off. So you, you're you basically priced into playing a some form of protection for him, whether it's just the support, whether it's a big front line... Uh, that's why a lot of the teams you see playing him pick two core. Like it's just two tanks, a protective support like Tom Kench, and or 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 Thresh to help him reposition with the lantern and everything, and that's that, right? So it's very unforgiving to mistakes, like extremely unforgiving, but it's also extremely powerful. So it's one of those things where it's like very feast or famine looking. It's not necessarily, but it looks that way. So like the games where Aphilius is eaten, it looks like the most broken thing you've ever seen, right? He's just like takes five people down to half their health, right? The games where he's not, it's like, okay, why don't people just pick, like, Rumble Jarvan and kill this thing every single game, which is actually the solution a lot of the time. So I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all answer. It's very complicated. There's a lot of layers to it. The Like, the general way I would phrase it is he's very powerful, but he's very exploitable, and it took teams a while to figure out that you just need to attack it, and people weren't attacking it. They were just bitching that it was broken. Like, that was that was the problem with it for, like, Honestly, like a month, people were just like, oh, this is so OP, so broken, we gotta ban it. When in reality, they could have just been letting it through and picking Rumble Jarvan, picking Silas, picking ways to get onto it, LeBlanc, ways to kill him. Because nobody was doing that. They were just like, oh, this is the best backline carry ever. How do we beat Artillery Cannon? With our own Artillery Cannon? Okay, well, we're gonna lose because he's overtuned and broken. So, like, nobody was pressuring him, so it looked really, really good. Do I think the champion's very good? But, yeah, there's a lot of skill expression, and there's a lot of... It's a variance machine. Like he's a variance machine because I think he 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 has a lot of like misconceptions. So, yeah, I know I that's just, super long winded, but go ahead. I would just add. I, I think it is very high skill expression, and one way to tell is like if you watch, like you said, like certain players on it, it's much better. But also, I think there was one slate last week in CB Law where Ophelios went like zero and five on the day. Like he just got absolutely dumpstered, and it's just like the the players aren't as skilled and thus can't, like, capitalize on the advantages that he provides. Because um, it's a lot, like, like Lottie said, there's a lot of timing. A lot of communication has to come through, right? Like, so if you're not a, communi- a communicative ADC and you're not saying, I have these guns, I'm ready to fight this dragon because I have these two guns up, here's how we can approach it type thing. Like, you know, there's a lot of things that need to go into it to make the champion good. Um, with all that being said, 200 years is <laughs> Always going to be tweeted whenever it's played. But. It's such a good meme. <laughs> um, so where I got lost for. Oh, so we were talking about Fnatic and G two. Um, G two is really good. TLDR. <laughs> for those that are new, welcome to G two. G two play probably the worst way that they can play, and they still just shit on a team that we think is a world class team. Would it surprise anyone to see Fnatic in top eight at Worlds? Like right now, if Worlds was right now, not at all. I actually think they're probably like seven or eight. Actually, they're really good, and G two dominated them. <laughs> like I don't like. Obviously, I think this might have been like a fringe result a little bit. I think this was probably 
expect it to be a more competitive series, but I'm kind of not surprised that G two three O anybody honestly. I think it's. I think the other thing to keep in mind here is like, I think this is a strategy that only someone with a level of familiarity that G two has with Fnatic could implement. Yeah. Right. Like if we're at Worlds, I don't know that we see DRX pull out a Kogma Lulu bot lane and take advantage of. You know what I'm saying? Like. Maybe we, you know, <laughs> a bad example, sir. Terrible example given this morning, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, you know, maybe IG or something. But yeah. I, I think it may be uh, is something just because G2 is so familiar. They've played them in every finals for the past three, or you know, every playoffs for the past three splits. Um, they've always been the two like teams to beat in the region. That I, I think they're just so familiar with them and know their tendencies so well that it was just kind of they, they figured out a way to take advantage of it. Those two teams are both so good. I, I, like that to me, that doesn't change my thoughts on Fnatic at all. I think G two are capable of three owing literally any team on the planet on any given day. They're that good. So just don't overthink it. There's good. I mean, it's awesome watching those two teams duke it out. So, um, NA. I mean, better drafts won. <laughs> like that, every single. I think every like besides. I think it was like game four or five of like the TSM FlyQuest series. I think. TSM had, like, just this garbage draft and snowballed really hard and got there. But, like, I mean, Cloud9 is so much better than everybody. It's not even close. Like, it's it's kind of insane to me that, like, I become, I'm becoming more and more impressed by this team the more I watch them. And I kind of just want Summer Split to get started already so that they can keep dumpstering people and telling this region to wake the hell up. Like, I, I'm, glad, I'm glad that we have a bad guy. Like, I'm glad. I want Cloud9 to start shit-talking like G2 does. I really do. Like, I just want them to, like, I want them to level everybody up because, I mean, we could talk about the whole scrim culture thing about how, like, nobody wanted to scrim them. Did you guys talk about that? Did you guys hear about this? Yeah, I did see the the interview about it. And I saw the, I saw the other interview where they were talking about, you know, how a lot of these teams just wanted to FF at level one and, like, they would just do an invade. And if they lost the invade, they just asked for a remake and all kinds of stuff like that. I think we got to fix some of that stuff for sure. That's why NA. That's one of the many reasons why NA is having problems. Stop being entitled! Work for it. That's my thoughts. Uh, yeah, I mean, I honestly don't really have any... I, I'm, You know what? I'm I'm happy for FlyQuest. Um, FlyQuest showed that just don't lose in... Don't lose before the game starts and you're the second best team in North America. Like, honestly, like, d- dead ass. That's what FlyQuest was this season. Does anybody disagree with that? FlyQuest, like... I don't think FlyQuest hard lost any draft this season. Like, maybe they lost a little bit. But, like, they didn't, like, hard lose, like, games over before a draft and in any game this season. Even in this series against Cloud9, Cloud9 was just better than them. Like, they probably could have won that first game, too. It was the first game or the second game that was really close. I think it was the first game, right? Yeah, I, Cloud9's really good. I, we don't need to talk anymore about this. It's kind of boring. Um, So far... Cloud9, Cloud9 hates the environment. They didn't want like... <laughs> <laughs> Throwing that out there. The FlyQuest trees meme. It's the week of 420, man. We can't do the trees memes. <laughs> oh, shit. So, uh, what else? <laughs> I totally lost my train of thought on that now. Damn. All right, so we have uh, <laughs> uh, the LCK. We had the fourth, fifth place match. We had Damwon KT, which was, uh, I mean, Damwon played really, really well. I think both teams played pretty well in that series. Nothing particularly stuck out to me. I think Danwa was just a little bit better on the day. Kuro had an, a weird off game on LeBlanc. Uh, this is this was like one. I don't, I don't want to call it a one percent outcome, but this was like a thirty percent outcome. Like 
uh, KT had like a couple individual bad performances. I don't even think as a team they played that badly. Really, it was fine. Damwon was just really good. Um, and then we had uh, Damwon Dragon X that was looking like it was going to be a three zero, and then Dragon X was just like, nah, we'll just pick one into Jace. Like everyone's done and lose it. Like everyone's done into Nogri's Jace. Like, and then they. Tempted fate again, and we ended up going to a game five because they didn't want to do anything about it, and then they took care of business. But God, that was scary. Like, get, like, don't you think the teams just shouldn't? It's like the football equivalent of like, don't let Deshaun Jackson run a nine. Like, just don't let him run a go route on you. Hang a safety know, over the top. Like, come on. Like, yeah, maybe with Nuggery. I will say, like worldwide, I think people taking like Lucian and Jason to Orn has been bad for them. Like, yeah, I think for the, the most Orn part, end up outscaling, and then the Jason the Lucian don't do anything, and the Thorn crushes team fights. But maybe in specific situations where a player is like a specialist on that champion, I mean, Nuggery's definitely an absolutely well, fantastic Jace. So I agree, like I agree with that because it's like it's it's considered a counter because you have to get really far ahead. Like it's a full center situation, right? Yeah. But Nuggery has shown time and time again that he will beat this matchup. Like he does it every time. Like almost every single time he gets this specific matchup, he wins it. So. I don't know why he would tempt. I guess you're up two games you can afford to, but like the fact that they gave it over to him again and ran it back again in game four freaked me out. I was like, I'm actually going to lose this. Like, like I, yeah, it was tilting. I uh, think that something you mentioned like way earlier in the split to me actually on Twitter is like, uh, I got mad that people kept leaving Braum up whenever they were drafting MF and Orm. And you were like, well, it, it kind of at least tells you exactly what they're going to draft. So, like, there could have been that aspect in play as well, where they're like, okay, we know he's going to pick it, so we can just play around it. Like, we're good enough as a team to be able to play around this champion. Um, So there's probably some aspect of that as well. Yeah, I do, like, I am not actually that, like, I I tend to be a fan of the run back because it means that they're not overreacting to a result that just happened, and they're confident in their take on things. So I typically like the run back, but in, like, like, specific situations like this, it's just like, don't, don't, screw them. like just don't like you know this is like one of the only ways this team ever wins like just don't give it to them like this yeah i don't know especially if you just outclass them by a big margin right like uh, it was kind of annoying that should have been a 3-0 <laughs> i'm really pissed that it wasn't actually but um then we had this morning t1 dragon x two really good teams we talked a little bit about this one already i don't think we need to touch too much on it we all talked about it on twitter ad nauseum today T1 are really good at League of Legends, guys, and kind of put Dorn in the dumpster this morning, and rookie, if you if you told me before the season started, and they kind of talked about this on the on the broadcast today, but that, like, the best players in this series would be, like, Karia, uh, Piosik, and Kana, oh, and Effort. Effort had an insane series this morning. I would have called you out of your mind. I would have been like, oh, you know, like probably two of those guys end up being pretty good. T1 never misses on prospects ever. So, yeah, you know, but I, it's insane to me. Like, maybe it's the, maybe they're just helped by, like, the not, like, the remote angle. But, like, they were crushing it. But all of these players were crushing it when it was still on stage, too. Told you, though, Gelati, it's the generations. We've talked about it on the podcast yeah. before. The new generation's better than the last generation. That's why E-Star was a playoff team when everybody thought that they were going to be the last team in the league. This has been that's been like worldwide. New teams come in and everyone thinks they're going to be awful because they're all these guys nobody knows. But it tends to be that those newer players they have a higher threshold coming in from the next generation. 
So like even APK, who was not even a playoff team, they were still better than people thought they were going to be. Yeah, but APK uh, also had, to be fair. Yeah, they had. They had APK is guys. like four old guys <laughs> and one superstar in hybrid. But uh, yeah, I think people from, well, who was their best player? Yeah. If they, if they had five hybrids. not Ixu, that's for damn sure. Yeah. <laughs> God, but, I'm yeah, so I think triggered by Ixu. Always keep an eye out for the, for the younger teams because the next generation tends to be better than this generation, so. That said, we saw some good old guy performances today too. I think, uh, I mean, honestly, and young guys, Chovy, Chovy's still so goddamn good at this game, dude. Did you see that Kalissa kill on Corky? Oh my god, <laughs> it was savage. And Faker played really, really well this series too. Cuz was really, really good this series too. And then like, I mean, we saw the one game. Adept wasn't even bad in this series. It, people are giving him shit because of the draft and everything. It's like not his fault. He played really, really well. You saw the one game. He like. Alt queued and killed Teddy. It was like two spells. He just killed Teddy with the zigs. It was like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> like twelve hundred damage a minute or whatever it was. Yeah, I, I, I don't hold this series against DRX at all. I mean, you can criticize draft all you want, but I'm not holding this series against them at all. T one's just really good. I think the pr- approach was fine. We could nitpick that, but we kind of already did. So I have a hard time not holding it against them a little bit, just because we saw the same thing with Griffin last year. They came into the finals. They played a strategy they hadn't played before, and they just got stomped by SKT when they were looking like they should beat them if we just matched up the ways that they've been playing for the last, like, three weeks. And this felt like the same situation. DRX has looked better the last three weeks than SKT, and then they come in and just do something radically different and get stomped. So I'm, I definitely – that's a pattern for me. We're talking about pattern recognition. Yeah. I mean, <clears> so, like, I mean, I, I talked about – I guess we'll digress a tiny little bit on this. Like, I kind of posited on Twitter this morning that, like, I don't think this was as drastic a difference as people think just because the champions were different. It's still the same strategy that they were doing. It was just with different characters. And it's not like the character execution was a problem. It was just fundamental execution. Like, like that was the problem. It wasn't the characters that they picked, right? That's That was my take on it. You're still trying to accomplish the same thing that they always try to accomplish and they've been doing all season, right? It just looked a little different. So, I don't know. Read my blog post. <laughs> you want to go in length about this? I kind of dive do a deep dive on it. Uh, so, let's... Oh, uh, what did we miss? The LPL? Only a few hours in. We'll talk about some games, I suppose. Yeah, we'll talk about some games, talk about I suppose. We only, got a, we only got a few left. So we got, uh, yeah, I guess we'll do LCK Grand Finals, right? Uh, grand Finals are being played in the stadium, which is kind of cool. I think they're not doing audience yet, but I think they're doing – they are going to play it in the stadium. So we'll have that production and everything. Uh, Gen G versus T1. Uh this is a lot different depending on the book you look at, so shop around for your lines because I've seen a lot of different lines on this one. I'm going to try to make a median line here and say it's T1 minus 150 and Gen G plus 120. You can get better or worse for whichever side you want in this situation, but T1 favorites. Um, T1 are 5-0 and o against Gen G and Dragon X, the other two elite teams. Like I think this is probably about right. Yeah, and it's one of those t- it's one of those tough spots too. Where if you've been following league for a long time, T one just never loses, dude. They don't ever lose when this happens. You know how many times they've gone to the final and we're like, "This is the team that's going to beat them this year." They look so good, and they never lose. Playoff so, game, dude. It's really tough not to take not to just assume that T one's going to win. Like, like you said, five and zero, and like honestly, we've been here fifty times, and T one just never loses when this happens. T one are the Patriots. But Gen G being the best regular season team at plus money in the finals, it's tough not to take that. I think I end up passing just because, like I said, T1 just never loses, dude. I just don't want to do it. Like, I think the angle you play this is, like, games. 
obviously like in light you can approach it live but like i think the angle you play this from is like so you can get like the over four and a half maps at plus 160 if you think it's <laughs> going to go to five games if you think it's going to be four games on either side you can do that minus 225 uh, probably under kill total i would guess 20.5 is a really really low number but the way these two teams play I, honestly like i don't think i'm gonna have anything on this outside of like like so i have futures on t1 so i'm probably gonna be on i'm just gonna look for the best number on Gen G and and take my money and walk home with it uh i just have to determine like how much of it like if i think t1's gonna win i i won't hedge that much i'll just do like a third of it or something but like in terms of actually picking this game, I think the line's actually dead on. If you if you want T one, the best number I saw was minus one forty three. So if you really want to take T one money line, you think they're not going to lose this series? Like that's actually kind of pretty close to me. I don't know. This is wild. I'm full tilt sending Gen G minus two and a half. I am just sick of T one winning yeah. when they're like statistically outclassed and they just win. I just get really tilted. And- <laughs> So I'm just full tilt sending. Is oh yeah. How many Griffin lineups I had in last last summer or whatever when Griffin was playing him? I had so many Griffin lineups in DFS and just get watch him walk in and just get shit on three straight yeah. games, not even Dude, close. I think you you guys saw the article I did for Action Network on this where I like I, I actually I actually just did all three team stat comparisons because I think all oh, these yeah. three, I think all three of these teams are very, very good. That was my approach for taking Dragon X this morning. I was like, all these teams are just they're all good. They're all the same to me. Like they play yeah. a little bit different, but like effectively they're even to me. Yeah. Basically, he's the reason I'm broke because he just convinced me so well with his article. <laughs> but like, so in that thing, T1 had like the worst stats in pretty much everything of the three, not by much, but like, I mean, uh, the I thing is, though, the thing is, though, you have to cook in that they played LM a few times. I, I don't know, dude. T1 always win. You're right. T1 just always win this out there. The damn Patriots. It sucks. Like, I love T1. I'm hashtag Team 1. All right? I'm a T1 team. I'm a T1 fanboy. I have been since Faker entered the scene. I get to say that. Total hipster status. But, like, they just don't. They're the Patriots and Brady. They don't lose in this spot. You could be the hip thing. You could be the cool thing to take them. They just, they're not losing this. They're just not losing this series. Also, we just saw Kana just go ballistic this morning. Like, I don't. That was the weak spot, right? Like, that was the weak spot in this team was yeah. Kana cracks under the playoff pressure, and he just obliterated Doran. Like, <laughs> not even close. Like, Yeah, it's tough not to believe in SKT here, I hate to say. Yeah. I think that's probably my pick of the week, I hate to say, just because there's slim pickings this week. Yeah, it's tough. There's we'll tough, to tough picks. Yeah. T1. Like, <laughs> is it 3-1? Yeah, I think Genji get at least a game, but something tells me that T1 just finds a way in on this one. What the prop for 3-1 is, that's what I want. Um, China, we have, all right, so China, we still have most of the bracket left, so we'll have to do some hypotheticals here, but, uh, Friday morning, we have Top Esports against Team WE. Top is a minus 400 favorite, Team WE plus 311. We'll say the Team WE plus 1.5 is at plus 136, so. Whether you think, for me, it's whether you think WE gets a game. That's how I view this series. WE is either getting three zeroed or they're getting a game with some aggressive strategy where they snowball it and then they lose the other games. That's for me. See, I kind of think I'm like on, I'm like the more extreme way the other side. I think Team WE get three would or they just win outright. 
Because all right, so I told you earlier that I've been taking like a very rock paper scissors approach to the LPL, and it's this is kind of a weird one where it's like top have shown one look a lot of the season, but they've been they've been a little bit different with Jackie in. But I'm not buying that they're a completely different team just because of a few different series that they've played. So this is one of these like Lane Kingdom matchups versus Power Friendship matchups that I've been like touting nonstop. Basically, like it's basically like WE are an objective focused team, and I say objective not necessarily like in a neutral objective, but like objective in like we're gonna go kill this guy here or we're gonna make a play in this spot, right? Uh, it's not necessarily always like a dragon or something like that. And then TOP are a research or a resource focused team. Um, they call them Link Kingdom teams or whatever. I don't think TOP are so far along that spectrum that they're like, like OMG for instance, right? Where OMG is like an, a hard all in Link Kingdom team. Invictus is kind of like that a little bit too these days, uh, like more so than they've been in the past. Team WE has thrived against these teams because the way they play the game just breaks that down. Because their individual player skill does not matter when they're just, like, playing Aurelian Soul and making shit happen on the map. So, I keep tr- dude, I keep trying to poke holes in this team. I want to hate this team, and they keep winning. Nah, like, they're, they're, they're going to come to an end right here. T- top Esports, if you watch the series against FPX, that's all you need to watch. Like, FPX is just way better at everything than WE is. Yeah, I agree there. And Top Esports was, was all over them. Like, it was a great series, but... They, they did not have a problem getting, like, outmaneuvered by FPX throughout that series. And if FPX can't do it, then I don't think WE is going to do it. I do and think FPX, FPX made some play. huge mistakes in Game 2 of that series. But Game 1 was very competitive, and TOP came out on top. So I, I just think, like, if they were going to lose to WE, they would have got obliterated by FPX. <clears throat> like, WE is so much worse than FPX at pretty much everything they do. And the individual players on WE are not talented enough. Like, Knight is going to put Teacher Mob... 20 feet under the ground. I thought Crying was going to put him 20 feet under the ground, too. I mean, Crying's not on the same level as Knight by, like, any chance. Yeah. I'm not saying that. But, like, I, dude, like, I'm not falling in love with the underdog, but, like, I'm just looking at the number at this point. Because, like, I, I mostly agree with you. I was like, in my head, I just can't see it happening. But, like, this number is really good. Yeah, that minus two point five number is fantastic. Oh, yeah. Top one eighty five for for a sweep is literally go. I mean, think think back. What like legit three months? We all like I, I don't know. Everyone was on top. Like they, they got Carsa last year. We thought they should have all been. We all thought they should have been in Worlds, and now they added Jackie Love. Like and filled their only bad spot in Fodic. He wasn't bad. But you know they're they're weakly to say. Um, I, I just don't see it. Like, sure, maybe crying can't take advantage of Teacher Ma playing Aurelian Soul. Literally, I, I, I would love to see you play Aurelian Soul tonight. Like, just have fun. Yeah. I, just they're they're not even. And there's also the whole like this was the first time for Esau, right? Like, there's a whole rookie factor potentially. Yeah. We don't know how that played in. And again, like this is us trying to explain things, but. But I just think Top is such a better team right now. Um, I like if this number wasn't plus one eighty five, I'd be a little bit more skeptical. But getting Daniel plus two hundred on a sweep for what I think is a team that's vastly superior talent wise and just looks better—I don't know. I mean, we saw Top two zero FPX. Why wouldn't they three zero? We like I don't know. I'm skeptical about three zeros in China, just in general. 
That's fair. <laughs> I made the minus 1.5 my pick of the week, not the minus 2.5, but the minus 1.5 is my is my Vegas Dave whale play. <laughs> mortgage play the top top esports minus 1.5 so our aggregated placements based on our preseason rankings we had top at third at 3.5 ahead of IG, OMG, ahead of ready for this just for a, fly, a bless in the past ahead of ig in this order ig omg lol <laughs> rng blg edg lng bg dominus sooning we at 13 and a half in the C tier, plus 15,000 to win the split. It felt like 13 and a half. Yeah. Anyway, I, to me, I just – I'm skeptical, man. Like, And it's not just because, like, WE have been, like – they've been, like, a good underdog. But And I've compared them to team. The thing is, their record is just better against teams that play the way T.O.P. do. Like, And that's at, like, all levels, against good versions of that, bad versions of that. I th- I'm very confident Team WWE get a game. Like I'm very confident they get a game. I think they can get a game. That's why I took the minus one point five as my Vegas Dave Whale play. But <laughs> I mean, it's within the bounds. The guy's like 150, <laughs> so I'm surprised so. he's not putting out lol picks. <laughs> yeah, is he doing like badminton? He's like, I got a sick badminton yeah. play. <laughs> he's like Chinese badminton and stuff. Go yeah. on, man. I don't know. All right, so I welcome Vegas Dave. Uh, let's let's do this. So we'll say um. Okay, say T.O.P. advance, just because that's the podcast consensus right now. Uh, I'm, for the record, I'm probably going to be, like, light on Team WE just because I think the number is too big for an LPL playoff. And I think, stylistically, it could happen. Like, I really do think this team is just unorthodox. They're weird. Um, so, Saturday, we'll get, you know, we'll we'll just touch on the winner of, so, the winner of this match will play Invictus on Sunday. That's the order we're going to go in. Uh, top versus Invictus. I think top win handily. I'm gonna bet top minus one point five against Invictus. I don't think it's handedly, but I think I I, I like top in that match. <laughs> I, I think I think Invictus is fraudulent. I, I like, do too, I, but every time I, I say that, yeah. Invictus do an end one mixtape. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the thing I said today? I was like, I was like, Invictus are playing street ball against NBA teams because <laughs> they really are. Like, what the, <laughs> you want to talk about a weird team? It's the weirdest team. That seems just the rookie and the shy show right now. And if they can, and with rookie playing up against Knight, it's really all they have to do is figure out how to not let the shy completely one v five them, and they should win pretty easily. I think. I, yeah. I, I'm going to like top in that matchup, and I'd assume that they're going to be like a plus like one forty dog, one twenty, one forty range. What do you think, Josh? So this is actually going to be where I like. I, I saw Jones comment on Twitter about uh, how I think you tweeted after their most recent series, John, maybe that like. The types of mistakes they make is kind of like why you don't think they'll ultimately win in the playoffs. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I, it was something like that. And I just like, I just think they don't give a flying crap. And every time I think that like, yeah, wow, IG is really stupid to make a bunch of stupid decisions. Then I'm like, what the, they're like 17-1 or something. Like how they, they don't lose. Yeah. The biggest problem for me is actually that three of their members do give a crap. That's my biggest problem. Oh, the the two members three. that don't give a crap are not the problem. They're the, they're the guys that I want. I want Ning and Baolan and Jackula back so that nobody gives a crap. But the problem <laughs> is they got three guys that do give a crap, and the three guys that do give a crap are getting destroyed 
and Rookie and the Shire carrying them. They don't have that DGAF synergy. That's what we're going to call it. That's the name of the episode, by the way. <laughs> DGAF synergy. That's, that's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I think we're going to get a good number for IG. So I'll probably be on IG just because, like, T1. I think that like, they're literally better. And I'm, I was like a big Carsa fanboy, but he's been pretty sketchy this year. And not to say Leanne's like that good, but because I was telling, I was telling some people that like Leanne's job is just to like rookie says, Hey, come here just in case after I tower dive, I'm about to die. And then I'll like stopwatch and then you eat like three tower shots so I can get out or something. Like, I swear, like the job is so worth it. But, uh, <laughs> I, I think I just think that they they've been like not caring and still winning, and I think they'll probably start to care now that it's playoffs. Um, and as much as this is just like random spewing nonsense, like they have just defied every number. Like they have like a sub fifty percent Drake rate and are still the best team in the league. Like, it does not make sense in my brain in this meta that that's possible when Dragon Soul's the most busted thing next to Elder Drake. But it's like, all right, I, I don't know how you beat this team then. And Top has looked at the part that they certainly could do it. Um, they have the talent. Like, they're uh, one of the few teams yeah. that actually have the talent to, like, like get into, a, like, a knife fight with IG. You know, like, that's – because that's – when you play IG, you got to be able to play that way. Like, when RNG took that game off of them, RNG stepped down to their level, and they have the players to do it, and they did it, right? The, the other thing from, from the top angle is like, Cars is good enough to take advantage of the fact that the Shy is going to dumpster 369 in the top lane. Like, he's going to be pushed up on the top side all game. So he, he literally just comes over on Lee Sin and ganks him twice and then puts him way behind. It doesn't matter because the Shy will still win in TS because he's some sort of small. But like, they do technically have the players that, that, that can take advantage of these things. I just, I, I just, I don't know, man. I've seen rookie do things like rookie makes Nico look busted and the shy Aatrox look busted. And these are two champions that I fundamentally think are garbage right now. So it's like, I, I, they just don't make sense. Yeah, it don't, they, they really don't like, it's, it's almost like, uh, you know what they remind me of? They remind me of like the Seahawks with like Russell Wilson, where it's like yeah. literally everything will tell you is like, okay, like this team sucks. Like, they're fraudulent as hell, and it doesn't matter. And then Russell Wilson pulls a rabbit out of a hat and beats you. Like, he's, like, the best yeah. against the spread quarterback in the history of everything ever. Like, that's what, like he just – he's a miracle worker. And I don't know. I'm probably going to be on top, but it's going to depend on the number. If the number is really good for IG, I'm probably going to hate myself and take IG. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Saturday will be Fun Plus against the winner of EDG RNG, which is Thursday morning. Um, just quick uh, – uh, ED, we'll just do both. EDG against FBX. Um, I think FBX is going to beat whoever comes out of that other series. I think if it's RNG, FBX is going to absolutely slaughter them. I think if it's EDG, it might be a little bit close, but like probably three one, something like that. Three to one and a half, I'll say. I think EDG are being underrated a little bit. I think EDG are pretty good, regardless of the lineup they put out there. Yeah. Um, and then Monday we have JDG versus the winner of that match. Uh, FPX for CDG. We'll say FPX. So it would be JDG FPX just to ruin all my futures because they're going to hit the same side of the bracket. Really, really good battle. That's like my favorite battle of the playoffs so far, JDG FPX. Yeah. yeah. That's going to be that's gonna be a fun one. Uh, 
we don't have lines for it yet, so. <laughs> I, I, I could see either team coming out on on the side of that. If there's any team that's over like plus 150 in that matchup, I would just bet them, which regardless of which yeah. team it was. It's going to be an even matchup. I think they're both the two best teams <laughs> in the LPL that aren't the wild card that is Invictus. <laughs> something, something to toss out that I should have mentioned with the last game uh, is that like on these series that were really close on, and just some John's mentioned in the past, but like the double 1.5, the double minus one and a half would probably both be plus odds. And I would say that like betting on a game to go five or a series to go to five games is never really a good idea. So um, whichever side you're on, or if you're torn, maybe just bet both. But yeah, I would say try to lean towards the minus one half for these games that are going to be pretty tight spread for the money line because you'll get plus odds. Yeah, close close series does not mean five games. It could be yeah. three. It could be a close three zero. It could be a close three one. You never like, know. So. FBX was really close, and it was a two zero. E2 Fnatic was pretty close. It was 3 out. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it could be, you know, two of the games are close. One of them wasn't, and it's a 3 0, and it looks different on the score sheet than does, you know. So, uh, I I'm, I endorse that wholeheartedly. Who's winning the LPL? We kind of already talked about this. You said IG, right, Josh? I do too. I do too. I just hate it all. I'm on hashtag uh, DeemJDG. Maybe. Not maybe. I think J- isn't JDG still undefeated with Zoom? Like, yeah, I don't think they've lost a game yet with Zoom. Yeah, I don't get it, but like maybe it's them. I I just think IG have the best players, and if, if it's got to be a strong top team, and that's maybe JDG with Zoom. I think it's, he's the second best top laner. What if like if I gave you like the field against those three teams? Like, what would the number oh. have to be? <laughs> oh, you'd have to give me really good odds on the field, like Plus one of those three teams. or something. Yeah, one of those three teams is going to win, I think. I mean, FPX is the champion of the non-teams that we mentioned, yeah. so they have some chance of winning, but yeah, I'd, I'd take minus 300 on the teams that we had there. All right, pick of the week. Um, you've been crazy long because we had a lot of fun talking this. Uh, so um, pick of the week. Uh, last week I had KT Moneyline. They lost. I'm really bummed about that because whatever uh, against Dan one. John had WE over OMG at plus 110. That was a great call. I tailed you on that. Uh, actually, I, I pseudo-tailed you on that. I was on the OMG plus 1.5 and the over two and a half maps. That's like one of the rare times I actually take the over two and a half maps. But um, Chris hit Cloud9 minus two and a half at plus 100. Good, good hit. And Calvin hit Rogue Warriors plus 125 against LGD, and I was also on that side. So uh, on the, we had a good we had a good week last week. I lost, but um, uh, we had a good week overall. Um, this week, where are we going? Um, I'm just gonna. Uh, it's the Patriots. Just don't get cute. T1 minus 143. Like and I, I didn't think I was going to be doing that, but just the form that they're in, like no, no one's beating this team. Like I'm sorry, they're just they look they look on another level right now, and more than I thought they'd be. And I thought all three of these teams were even, but I suddenly don't think so. So, <laughs> admittedly, a little reactive, but I think then it's T1. They just look really good. Next, Josh. Uh, I, I we don't have odds for it, but I think my pick of the week would probably be the double minus one and a half in that Invictus matchup. Okay. Uh, if somehow we wins, then it will be Invictus. Now, I actually, you know, <laughs> this I think this would be three two in that series. That's the worst part. I hate this team so much because it makes me. Oh, I hate this team so much. Dude, the inverse confidence model. Yeah, then it's like, then it's for sure we plus one and a half. Is <laughs> the pick of the week? So it's just so I hate it. But yeah, I think I, assuming top wins that, I think, and we get like you know minus one thirty to plus one 
plus 110 odds or something around that. Probably a double minus one and a half in that matchup. All right, so you want the double minus 1.5? All right. I went with uh, top esports minus 1.5 against WE. I think uh, top's going to pretty much destroy Team WE. So Okay. Well, there we have it. Um, we waxed philosophical for a long time, so we're going to go without a sign-off this week. Um, yeah, it seems fair. And, uh, yeah, I think that's going to be it for us. Um, Chris will hopefully be back with us next week. Calvin is, uh, just to keep people up to date on this, Calvin's out for – an indefinite amount of time just because he had his work uh, work schedule changed due to the the pandemic and he's working increased hours he works in 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 medicine so uh props to him for being on the front line and everything and it's it's rough and he had his hours changed so um still keeping up on twitter so keep up with that but um that's gonna be it for us uh good luck this weekend enjoy the playoffs and then uh i mean before we know we'll be talking power rankings and tier lists for the summer or for the summer split three weeks from now which is insane so um yeah check us out i think uh josh and i are both running the action network check us out on twitter uh etc shout outs uh rate review subscribe all that nonsense and good luck this weekend the gold card podcast opening theme is clouds by harvey and the hendersons the closing theme is wasp in a hat by the tea club Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Podbean to never miss an episode.